Blog Talk Radio. Guys that had opportunity to go to Williams and Bryson to see 
um, or, or down there in Johnson Haygood at, at the Citadel, or even at Coastal Carolina here in, here in town. Um, but they had opportunity to see them play, and, and now they get opportunity to work with those kids or those young adults. And the key is some of them had an opportunity to play professionally, but all of them went professional in something, and that's what we want these kids to see. Um, want them to, to understand that, hey, even though I might not have an opportunity to play on a professional level, I still can be professional and have success. Because all too often through my 25 years of coaching college football, I heard kids say, I have to make it to the league. That's the only way that I can be successful. And I used to break my heart because that is so far from the truth. There's there's so many ways that you can be successful successful. Um, besides going to the league. Now, again, if you get an opportunity to go to the league, we want you to go to the league. We want you to do everything that it takes to make that a reality. But also understand that that is a very small number, and i got to make sure that I'm planning for life after football. Well, I always think about the thought of the day, and my thought of the day today is I was talking, uh, I actually had an opportunity to go to the uh, Murder Beach Chamber of Commerce um, Business Expo, and I was talking with a business person, and he made me think of uh, something in, um, that I used to tell my players all the time, and that is this. The goal isn't to be better than anybody else. The goal is to be better than I was yesterday. And if we do that, regardless of where you are, if you're, if you're in middle school, if you're in elementary school, if you're in high school, if you're in college, if you're already graduated and you're working, that still should be the same thing. My, I'm not trying to compete with anybody else. The competition is the man or the woman in the mirror. So if you're going to get in that mindset that I have to get better in something today, regardless of how small it is, I have to get better in something. And if I will go ahead and work for that and get better in something, then I'm going to be that much better at the end of the week. That means I'm going to be that much better at the end of the month. I'll be that much better at the end of the year. And as those years add on, that means that I'll continually get better. And that's what we want to do. Today, i got a good friend of mine. Um, that's my co-host, uh, Coach Greg Ruffin. Coach, how's everything going? Everything's fine. How you doing, Everett? I'm doing well, man. I'm doing well. Now, you've been doing this coach thing for a long time as well. Tell us a little bit about uh, uh, your background and where all you've been. Well, I'm a native of Blodville, Arkansas, which sits about 60 miles north of Memphis on the Mississippi River. So uh, that's where I grew up, born and raised. Uh, you know, in the, in, the, in the military, went to Wentworth Military Academy, transferred to Lane College while I was a graduate. Uh, played in the backfield with uh, the late Fred Lane of the Carolina Panthers. I was starting fullback and went straight into coaching from there. And, uh, you know, like you said, I've been – this is year 25 for me. Been all over the place. I've uh, been Lincoln University, Lane uh, in Tennessee, Lincoln in Missouri, uh, Jackson State in Mississippi, Texas Southern in Houston, Bethune-Cookman over in Daytona Beach, Florida, where I still reside. Uh, uh, went to Texas College as a head coach, Shaw University in Raleigh, North Carolina as a head coach, uh, Benedict in South Carolina as offensive coordinator. Uh, that's, that's where you and I met uh, back when you were at the Citadel. So, uh, you know, just just been a lot of places, Tuskegee University, 
So, you know, about 11 schools over the last 25 years. So, it, you know, it's been a head coach at three at, uh, at three universities. So, uh, it's been – well, actually four. So, it, it's, been, it's been a ride. Okay. It's been a ride. Uh, so, you know, most recently with the head coach at uh, Edward Waters College in Jacksonville, Florida, any high program that's moving to, to Division Two and July 1. So, uh, that hey, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Well, good, 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 good. Now, what honor did you coach? I know you have been a head coach at four different schools. What what did you coach at, at some of those other spots? Well, I've always been, you know, I'm I'm pretty much been on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, I've coached quarterbacks. I've coached running backs. I've coached tight ends. I've coached everything on offense except the offensive line, and I can't say that because as a coordinator, you kind of coach the offensive line through the offensive line coach. So just about everything on offense. I have coached. I haven't been a coordinator uh, within the last 25 years and 11 of those years. Nice, nice. You've been a coordinator for 11 and a head coach for, what, about seven or eight, right? Yep, yep, that's it. And uh, and, and pretty much mostly everywhere I was, I was probably, I was the recruiting coordinator. I spent eight years as a recruiting coordinator, the running back coach at Jackson State uh, over in, in Jackson, Mississippi. Right. So. Yeah. Which, which, as we know, recruiting is a huge part of of coaching. Um, because if you don't have uh, good players, it's tough to be a good coach. No doubt. No doubt. And now, um, being that you was at Edward Waters and, and you were going through the COVID situation, how do you think um, recruiting has been affected by COVID? Well, I don't. I don't think it's been affected on campus as it is so much as in the high schools and in the, in the JCs because of with the with the kids that are already on campus, they're at an advantage because they got a free year to play. So it's kind of been right. like a reset button in right. terms of all the guys that were were being recruited and things of that nature. So you got to think about it. If I was preparing to sign a class of twenty five, thirty guys because I was going to lose that many guys. Now I'm in a position, I mean, I'm going through attrition. I may have some guys say, Coach, I'm going to go and graduate. But, you know, you know just as well as I know, most kids, because they're trying to live out their dream, most of them are going to try to come back and play the other year unless they got some kind of professional school they're going to, i.e. law school, med school, or, you know, I already have a grad program they've been accepted into. You know, a lot of kids are going to stay. And then on the coaching part of it is, why would I put seniors at the door to bring in high school kids? You know what I mean? You know, the guys right. I got on right. campus gives me a chance to win quicker than the guys I would bring in. You know, so it's, it's kind of like a bummer True. of a year for guys in the class of 21 because, you know, I know some guys in Norman some years, they were at least got some D2, some high-level NAI, you know, FCS-type deals, and they're sitting there now going, I, you know, a lot of guys saying, hey, I got a preferred walk-on to here. I got a preferred walk-on to there. And, and, and you're seeing that because of because of the extension of the COVID eligibility. It's putting those kids in a position that things just didn't work out on their side of the coin because of, you know, those guys getting that extra year eligibility. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the other factor of that is um, the rich get richer because if you can afford – to pay for your seniors and sign a class, then you can do that. Um, yeah. But of course, I, most of the I was, 
what we call one double A's and and uh they can't afford to do that. But go ahead, I'm sorry. No, it's funny you said that. I just read an article on ESPN uh online this morning and they were talking about, you know, like like one school was saying like like they spend six million dollars in scholarships and we're talking at the FBS hmm. level. And it was saying that with the extension year that everybody gets and with everybody signing the class, they say you spend four million. So if they turn around and bring everybody in plus sign a class, it's gonna up them an additional six million dollars. Wow. Now who can afford that? Alabama can afford it, you know, your SEC school can afford it. You know, but as you yep. start getting down the line yep. and looking at some of your son your Sun Belt yeah. schools and some of your schools in the AAC and you know, some of these schools that play in Conference USA, I, I don't think those schools can afford that, you know. Maybe exactly. at the top part exactly. of the league, yeah. you know. But, yeah. Well, yeah. Man, I don't even know about you the know, top can part Rice, of can, can Rice afford to do that? Nah, they can't no, afford to do that. Not. Definitely yeah. not. Yeah. Definitely not. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, can so a Louisiana yeah, Monroe afford to do that? No. Yeah. 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 It's true. That's true. Most of the group of five can't afford to do that, so – but, but again, those, right. those, the Power Five schools, they got that extra money. Or it's nothing but a thing to say, hey, we're going to go in and bring the senior back, and then uh, we're going to go in and sign us a full class, too. Um, That's right. Well, well here, and here's the thing, about yeah. it. They didn't really make – they still hadn't really made it. They made a definitive decision, but they made it mm-hmm. after signing day. You see what I'm saying? Right. So, so yep. it's going to have to be some leeway – after how many years it takes to get back to the normal 85 in Division FBS and the normal 63 not to exceed 85 in FCS. You know, of course, right. in the Division two level, it's 36, you know, and, and you give as many kids as you want to money, so it won't it won't affect those schools, but it will affect the schools that are really in FBS and FCS. Yep, yep. Because I'm just talking with a, a couple of head coaches, um, just as you alluded to earlier, they'd rather go on and keep their seniors than sign a freshman. So the, the exactly. drawback of that is all of a sudden I got 40 seniors and I got five freshmen. I'm missing a whole class. That's, yeah. You're going to have to do a heck of a job with your walk-on classes here or putting kids in positions yeah. that you would have norm- normally scholarship to see how many of those kids, if they really want to be there, can they afford to right. bite the bullet for at least a semester? I mean, you know, because what's going to happen key. is, yeah, because yeah, a lot of these guys, they're only going to be there for the fall. They'll be out of there because if they're already in a, in a position to graduate, they're going to play in the fall, and they're going to they're gonna go on about their new way, you know what I mean, and free that yep. money up. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So I think when you look at it from that sure. perspective, things will be able to get back back to normal, Within within I guess about a, a I guess a two semesters time by by January of twenty three you, you, you know they should be out of out of that kind of uh, those issues should have subsided yeah, themselves. But the part is where are they going to get those those kids from? Because yeah, they're yeah, going right. to graduate. Yeah. They're going to graduate and no, they're going to finish in December. So are you going to sign a, a a class in in January? Where are you going to get all those kids from? I mean, because, you know, right now with everybody online, I don't know how many kids are graduating early. I mean, that's that's something that 
I, I, until we just talked about it, I haven't thought that how many kids are graduating early with with the everybody in virtual school. Virtual school. Yeah, that's true. And I, I, I and I, I tell you this: for kids to graduate early, they know almost a year in advance. So I don't think that's going to be the. You know what I mean? Normally, those kids right. that graduate exactly. early, exactly. they've they've been preparing yep. themselves to do such. So it's you're talking about mm-hmm. pre-COVID. They've already been on a track to do that, you know. Right, right. And I would imagine not too many uh, people this time last year was thinking about graduating early. They just wanted to, <laughs> if we're going, when we're going back to school. Well, I'm going to tell you another something that's interesting. Hey, the, in, in the state of Kentucky, they they've mm-hmm. given their high school seniors the option to come back and play another year. I've heard about that. I heard about that. There was Can a you imagine that? Well, well, the other thing is you got to think, like in Virginia, West Virginia, they didn't play. Um, oh, no, Virginia and North Carolina, I'm sorry. They didn't play in the fall. They're playing now. Right, they're doing it. They're doing the same thing so, in California. California's playing right now. Yeah. And then you had some states had so, kids didn't play all together, like, like in Memphis, in Tennessee, exactly. like like mm-hmm. like Nashville, Nashville public schools played in private schools. In, in, in Shelby County, which is encompasses Memphis, where actually Memphis City schools did not play, but some of the right. outer outer lane schools in the private the private schools on the outskirts, and you know, within Memphis. They played, but the inner city schools did not play in Memphis, and nor are they playing the spring season. So I mean, you got some kids that really, really can play that that didn't. They're not gonna get the look. I mean, what about that kid that's grown two inches or three inches over the over the summer and has been a backup to that Division One kid, and all of a sudden he's got that height, he's putting that weight on. That kid doesn't get to show himself, yep. you know? Exactly. Exactly. And then the other aspect is, what about that kid that they want to go on and bring in as a preferred walk-on, but he can't afford to go to school? That, that is correct. And then look at this. And the JCs are getting an extra year, too. So it ain't like they can run and go right. to junior college because they're going to get everybody back. So it's kind of, like I said, yep. it's a bummer for the 20, class of 21. Those, those kids are kind of screwed up all the way around. Yep. Yep, and, and you know what? At the class of 22 is affected too because normally by this time they've been on campuses, they've been to games, um, people know who they are. I mean, usually by this time, most of your power five have everybody earmarked that they're going to recruit. Yep, that's true. That, that's not the case Maybe. right now. But, but, but I will say this, I, I've – I've been looking at that, and, and you know what? The rich is gonna keep getting richer because a lot yep. of those kids—they're taking the—they're doing a hell of a job with the virtual tours and all that kind of stuff. And you know, a kid, a kid uh, committed the other day to Texas, and another kid committed to Oklahoma, and, and they brought that up in their in their in their, in, their, uh, in their interview. They were just saying, you know, hey, you know, I had a chance to go camp there two years ago. I know what it looks like, and. They did an excellent job with the virtual tours, so it's, it's, it's causing, you know, some other people within, you know, the, the, the campus community and some other areas to have to step up their game to be able to service the athletics as well. 
Right, right. And that's that's going to be huge. Well, here's the other part about it, though, something I think is going to happen. I think that um, the transfer portal is going to, again, be a big deal because even though you did a lot of stuff virtually, how well can you get to know kids? Well, how many times is a kid going to be like, well, it wasn't what I thought, so I'm 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 ready to go somewhere else. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, that that's all about but, the, the the class of 21 that's going there now. So it's gonna be right. it's gonna be interesting uh, of these next couple of years because I think there's gonna be a um there, there's a gap with the recruiting classes and I think some of the recruiting is gonna be like, hey, did we get the right kid? Am I at the right school? I can see that. I can see that. Well, I, hey, that transfer portal been hot, regardless. <laughs> you know, I, I I think they opened up a a can a, a huge can of worms when they did that. And then you know how it is these days. Kids want instant gratification, man. You know, they'll pick a school, and if they're not in the mix right now, they just simply you know go find somewhere where they think they can get in the mix. You know, kids don't want to fight for. Fight for to hang in there and wait their turn. That's that, that that that's not an issue no more. Waiting your turn. I don't think that exists. That's why I applaud a guy like Mac Jones who sat behind a, a Jalen Hurts and a Tua Tagovailoa and waits his turn to his senior year and wins the national championship and plays himself into the first round. You know, and it, it ain't many kids like that these days. So that's, I guess that's a you know a, a true testament of him having faith in. And the staff and him having faith in his abilities that when he would get the opportunity that he would be able to show up and show out. Exactly. It's uh, it's gonna be interesting, man. It's going to be interesting. A lot of things are gonna be happening, and uh, I think uh, it's gonna affect a lot of things that, that that's going on. Yeah, but you got to be excited for schools like Coastal, you know, some of the some of the non-power five schools, uh, you know what I mean? Because yep. you, you're seeing those schools get better because of the transfer portal, and it's, and, it, and it's the same way in basketball. Those schools are very good in the tournament because they're playing with four, they're playing with four fifth seniors. As opposed to, you know, you, you look at you look at University of Texas, and they lose to Abilene, who's only been in Division One for two years. And they get put out of the tournament by Abilene Christian. I mean, you know, it's, man, that's interesting. You know what I mean? So, so, so it's the same way with football. You know, you, you know how many guys does Coastal bring back? They just played with a redshirt freshman quarterback who's going to be a freshman again next year. So you're going to see some of those schools get even better. You know, who wants to play Louisiana? You know, I, I tell people all the time, the best conference this year outside of the Power Five was probably the Sun Belt. You know? If you look at with Lafayette, Coastal, Georgia Southern, you know, App State, I mean, from top to bottom, that was a better league. That was a better league than Conference USA. That was a better league oh, yeah. than probably the AAC. You know? Yep. And it's true. because they get those fourth year singles right. along with the transfer portal. Yeah. Now, uh, my my beef with the transfer portal 
is that uh, you can just leave when you want to leave. And and I don't think that's right. You can't you shouldn't just leave when you want to leave. Hmm. Well, well, you know you what? I can say. I used to say the same thing, Coach. I used to say the same thing, but then I thought about this. What about that kid that signs with, signs with a school, and as soon as he gets to let's – let's take Mel Tucker. Let's, let's take Mel Tucker and put him back at Colorado. How do you think those yeah. kids felt when, when well, Mel came out one week and said, I'm not going to Michigan State, I'm here, Colorado's where I want to be, and the next week he was in a press conference, and those kids are signed with Colorado. I mean, what about that, you know what I mean? You well, know, so well, that's, that's kind of been uh, the beef with the kids. The kids, yeah. a lot of things I've read with high school coaches and kids saying, you know, and I think it was a strong case for them to even start. It was like, if the coach can get up and leave, why can't the kid? Because you know how it was before the end. A kid, had, if he took a lateral transfer, he had to sit out a year. And then it stopped well, him. It, the, options, the options were closed with, with, with transferring within the conference. Because of they had a rule mm-hmm. with, with, with in, interconference, you got to sit out two years if you transfer within the conference. So, yeah, but you know. here's the thing. Here's the thing. I, this is my opinion on that. So you're going to give a 18 year old the same uh, leverage as a grown adult. One, um, from a NCAA standpoint, even before the transfer portal, um, if the coach left. You could transfer. You could transfer even if you sign an NLI. You can get out of that NLI and go somewhere else. Um, right. Or the transfer portal. But the thing is, with the transfer portal, if you get upset about anything, all of a sudden I can just leave. What kind I'm of out. accountability? Yeah, you're right. Yeah, and I agree. And there's some kids. I, I was talking with a, a buddy of mine who was a defensive back coach, and he said he's in Conference USA. And one of his players, who was a all-conference player, um, but he was on the shorter side. He's a five-eight kid. He jumps in the transfer portal because he's like, "Hey, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go bigger." And he ended up now he's home, and he don't have anything because he thought the grass wow. was greener on the other side, and nobody wanted to take a chance on a five-eight corner. Um, That's right. So now all of a sudden, he he gave up his scholarship. And now he's got to pay for school. Um, well, so, so again, I mean, that just happened. You know, guys saying, "Hey, okay, I'm going to go," and then next thing you know, nobody wants you because all of a sudden I can go get that JC guy, or I can get that six three version of you um, from somewhere else. Uh, and it's, well, for a lot of kids, they're getting stuck. So, well, what you're gonna uh, see? What you're gonna what, what you what you're gonna see is though having played Deion Sanders about four weeks ago, what you're going to see is mm-hmm. FCS is fixing to get really, really, really loaded. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, yep. and you're, going to, you're going to that, – that, that's the biggest, biggest benefactor of all of this. It's going to be the F, FCS programs. You know, and, and it's kind of going to be one of those situations. Be, be careful who you bring in for a money game because you might not get out of that thing alive now. You know what I mean? Well, but see, uh, and, and here's the other thing about that. Um, what what is the end game for 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 uh, prime time? Is he at Jackson State for for? He's saying, "Hey, this is my end all be all," or is that a stepping stone? No, nah, and and I and uh and uh, Paul Feinbaum came came out and said that the other day. I mean, he 
I think it's clearly a situation where he wants to it wants to be he wants this to be a stepping stone. But but here's the deal, and it's just my personal opinion. He's the, he okay. He had the number 80th ranked recruiting class in the nation, regardless of FBS or FCS, and that's big time. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a Jackson State alum as well. I think that's great, you know. But here's the deal. He's he got put in a situation last weekend at at Alabama State where, you know. It, it wasn't going to be about talent because you, you got all that talent. Now, Now, granted, he's got about 16 D1 guys that can't play until the fall because they played, you know, this past fall. So, of course, they mm-hmm. weren't eligible. Even though his son was, his son would be the starting quarterback, uh, Shadur, he, uh, he can't play to the fall. So he's going to be their guy in the fall. They're going to get all those transfers eligible. And he's going to have a pretty good football team in the next three or four years. But I think once his son leaves, I think he's done. He's going to be at a point where he's done all he can do. But here's the thing. I think he's going to find a program that wants all of the fanfare and wants all of, all of the shuck and jive that comes with that because, I mean, I mean, you know, he it, it's a show now. I, I, I got to say, like I said, I caught Coach Gibson in the first game. It's a show. He's got, he's got about nine cameras that follows him everywhere he goes. He, because he's still under contract with Barstool Sports, along with being the head mm-hmm. coach there. And, of course, he's, he's one of the top uh, uh, reps uh, in terms of, of marketing and, and, and advertising for, for Under Armour. So, of course, they've already switched to Under Armour. Got a lot of – Jackson State's going to benefit a lot from having him there. But here's the right. deal. I know you probably saw where they trolled him on the scoreboard last week, right? Did you see that? They put a picture of him up when Alabama State. They put a picture of him up on the scoreboard on draft day in '89. And of course, he had a Jerry curl, earrings, all his gold. They put that picture up on the scoreboard, and then he so he comes out and he makes the statement, "Oh, that's childish. That's childish. That's child. You know all that." But hold on, here's the same guy played him when I played him in February. It was a minute left in the game. We were down 53 to nothing. He's playing an NAIA program, not even a D2 program. He puts the starting quarterback back in the game, and they took four shots at the end zone on me. When he played Mississippi mm. Valley State two weeks ago, he was still throwing the football with 30 seconds left in the game. Mm. So my thing is, you know, of course, you know, we've been doing this, you know, for a long time. And about what you do and how you do is, but as much as he talked about, you know, showing them how to be a man and showing them how to be great fathers and showing them how to be this, but then you're not going to show them how to win with class. You see what I'm saying? So, yep. so, yep. so you're throwing the ball on two low teams that you're supposed to be, trying to put as many points even as the clock is ending, but then you put a you you turn around and you call out of school that puts your puts your picture up on. On the board, on jumbotron, you you get mad about that. See, that said a lot about him. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, I to me that that brought his that brought his character into question. Cause I'm like, hold on, why are you mad? Why are you mad? You had no reason to be mad. That was a proud moment in your life. That was draft day. Right. <laughs> you know, but so, but I, I I think he's gonna do well, but I don't think. He's going to get the results out of that 
that you remember when the Florida State job came up, right? And they and they mm-hmm. were saying that uh, they were saying his name came up for that. He didn't even have a college degree then. He just got his college degree right. in August from Talladega College, a historically black college in Talladega, Alabama. He just got a college mm-hmm. degree. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? So, yep. you know, it, it, will he ever get the Florida State job? No, he won't. And any school outside of the HBCU market that takes a chance on him, it's going to be because they're at a low point and they need that shot of energy. They need that excitement. They need the rah-rah because they're at a point where it's make or break. Exactly. And that's why exactly. somebody outside of Jackson State would, 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 make that, would make that move. Because, I mean, you know, like his whole thing is, you know, he's got them playing, but, I mean, he's, he's dancing in the sideline. He's dancing in the pregame. You know, just us. He came mm-hmm. out and warmed up just like he was getting ready to play in the game, uh, Sam. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, literally, mm-hmm. he came out and warmed up, like, in the DB warm-up, like, with all the cameras on him. Because it's all a show, you know. You know, he coaches the yeah. Mississippi Valley game. He coaches the Mississippi Valley game, and he's got a visor on backward and upside down where the bill is facing the sky. Now, you've mm. been some places, and you, and you know what the perception of that is. You know what I mean? Right. Exactly. 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 Well, hey, that's some great conversation there, some things that you got to think about. But, uh, but hey, we're going to go to All a right. quick break, um, and uh, we'll be back in a few. Hold on one second. Today, more than ever, we think about the air our family breathes. You and your family need to count on your home's air to be clean, free from harmful bacteria, and safe from the coronavirus. Nano air filters are the defense system your home HVAC system needs. Our filter media is created with a super fine spider-like material which captures particles as small as the virus. Standard home filters are just far too porous to do the job. So make the healthy choice and upgrade your air filters today by visiting nanoairsolutions.com.
I'm bad. This is Everett Sands of the West Foundation Sports Talk Show. Welcome back. We have our first guest, and this is a good friend of mine, Miss Wendy Anderson. Wendy, how's everything going? It's going well. Going well here in Charleston. Well, good. Good. Now, it was a nice day up here in Columbia. How was it in Charleston? It was was a lot warmer towards the end of the day. This morning was a little cool, but... By this afternoon, right. it got up. I think it's in the 70s. Okay. All right. All right. That's good. That means we're back to some yep. short sleeve weather, which is a good thing. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of weather uh, I like. But, yep. No doubt. No doubt. If you don't mind, now, again, um, you, you're probably not going to put this in there, so I'm going to let you uh, just tell us a little bit about where you've been and what you're doing now. Uh, but one of the big things uh, with Miss Anderson is that she is she was the uh, was the head volleyball coach at the Citadel, and was the first African American head coach at the Citadel. But let me go on and let you tell a little bit about where you've been and, and what you're doing now. All right, great. Um, so I, I came from a small town of Calpin, South Carolina, where I went to Broome High School, but I was recruited um, and played volleyball and one-year basketball at Clemson University. From there, I ended up coaching volleyball, head volleyball coach at Converse College, and was the assistant women's basketball coach there. After I left there, I actually ended up joining USA Team Handball. And I played for USA Team Handball for quite a while until I ended landed the job at the Citadel as the um, head women's volleyball coach when we were starting the women's program at the Citadel and um, stayed there until about 06 and ended up getting out of of college coaching and went into education. And now I am an assistant principal here in Charleston in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. Well, good. Well, well, let's, let's talk about this handball thing for a second. Okay. Um, of course, at the Citadel, I used to go in there and play some racquetball. And uh-huh. Colonel Hart Dick used to always try to get me to play handball. Um, and I played one time, and I was like, I'll never do it again. That thing beat my hands up so bad. So so how did you get involved in handball? All right. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you a little bit about team handball because you're thinking about handball, but I played team handball. And so how I got involved with team handball, and team handball is played on a a court a little bit larger than the regulation basketball court. 
We have goalie okay. on the end line. Um, it's okay. a little bit of basketball. Um, some people say water polo, but it's like water polo on a court where you can dribble the ball, you can shoot at the goalie, but the defense can hit you. They can stop you from shooting. Um, basketball in the sense that there is a travel. So if I dribble the ball and I take three steps, if I dribble again, that's a turnover. Um, and so but how I got involved in it is while I was coaching at Converse College, they sent a flyer to the coaches trying to recruit kids to college volleyball players to come trial because of the, the movement. And so I took okay. two of my players to the trial, and as I was warming up on the sideline with the players, the head coach at the time came over and asked if I was trying out. And I explained to him that I was – the head coach, and I had some of my players, he said, I really would like you to, to come try out. You seem very athletic, et cetera. So I ended up playing with them and ended up joining the team. And um, it was right before the 96 Olympics. So I trained okay. with the 96 Olympic team, um, went nice. to some of the games. I really didn't get to play because I just joined the team. But as soon as the Olympics mm-hmm. were over, we had our the the new group of, of players that and some of the older players um, still played and we traveled and and went to Pan Am games and I did that for a long time even when I was at the Citadel I still played but I didn't get to live in Lake Placid with them I would only go for tournaments so I would leave the Citadel on its when I wasn't um, coaching or if I didn't have a long weekend of recruiting. I would leave and go be with them for tournaments. And um, gotcha. and that is how I ended up with team handball. Okay. So team handball is totally different than handball. That is correct. Gotcha. It's not in a little gotcha. room where you hit it up against the wall. It's like you dribble the ball, <laughs> and the ball is about a little bit smaller than a soccer ball, but just as hard. You can grip, you can grip it, and you shoot against the goalie. <laughs> And around, okay. But you should check it out. It's, it's a lot of fun. It's physical. It's fun. It's, it's kind of fast paced when you get fast breaks. Um, well, so it, it's, a, it's, it sounds like it's soccer, except for I can't kick the ball. I gotta dribble the ball and throw the ball. Correct. And if you've ever watched water polo, uh-huh. it is water polo on a court where they gotcha. can hit you gotcha. and you try to shoot it against the goalie. It's the you have a, a three-meter line. You have a six-meter line. You, you know. So, yeah. Right, right. Gotcha. Okay. Well, cool. Cool, cool, cool. So how has uh, the transition from coaching to administration been for you? It's been, um, it's been pretty easy because I, I feel like I look for the same things as I did in, in my students at school and trying to find the best in them and trying to teach them some life lessons. And um, it's just without the ball. But, however, I get to talk sports with them all day long because usually you talk to the boys, they always give you the stats on football. Like I have one student that's killing me with the stats, and I'm a huge Steelers fan, so um, he he gives me stats all day long on my Steelers. And then, um, then you get the volleyball girls who want, you know, the talk about, you know, how it is to be able to, to play, what can they do to, 
to make it to the next level when they're in sixth, mm-hmm. seventh, and eighth grade. Um, so right. okay. the, the transition wasn't that it's a leadership role, and I feel that's just a a natural in um, coming from coaching because that is what you do. Exactly, exactly. The um, now just I'm a lean on your coaching experience and sort of what you've seen okay. so far. Um, I'm not sure if you heard uh, Coach Ruffin and I just talking about recruiting, and we were talking more from a football perspective. Uh, but from a volleyball perspective, how has COVID sort of affected recruiting on, on on that realm? Well, I can talk a little bit about it because I, I have had some um, contact with some of the coaches and some of the players, uh, especially some mm-hmm. of the players that are trying to – Um, play at this level. I had one young lady that uh, ended up signing with um, Marshall, let's say Marshall, okay? And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, the the process was some of the players, some of the older players, they were able to continue to play to come back for another year, which which would hurt those young ladies that may be coming in as a freshman because they may not mm-hmm. now be able to come in as a freshman on scholarship because that may be taken up. So it's been hard for some, especially when, when the coaches hadn't been able to come out and see them. Um, they still have to watch their videos um, because most of the recruiting has been suspended for in-person um, exactly. for that. And I know for a lot of it. So, and with volleyball, it's, in these big tournaments, like they they just had a big one in Kentucky this past weekend, which is a huge qualifier we, um, that that the different clubs play in. There's going to be another one, Big South, I think it's coming up in two weekends in Atlanta, where that, that okay. those are big recruiting times for the coaches to get in the gym to, to be able to watch the kids truly play against high caliber. Of players, and um, so I think it's been affected um, in, in the sense that they're not able to really truly uh, critique the the talent that's out there. Right, right, and again, there's some things you can't see on film. Correct. Um, such, such as when you know one of your teammates does something, how do you react? Uh, you know, the, the off the court stuff. Um, when things go bad, how do you react? Which is part of, to me, that's part of recruiting. Um, yeah, absolutely. That, that's part of you know, knowing who that person is on and off the court. And so, absolutely. Now, um, now, I believe the class of 2022 is going to be affected as well because they haven't had opportunity to get out. Um, Correct. Do you think they're going to be affected, if not more so? I think so because here again, um, the, those those student athletes they they haven't been out like one of the like you said one of the big things when you are recruiting as a coach you watch it more than just the kid playing right you watch the mm-hmm. interactions you watch the things they do when they come out of a timeout you watch um, their 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 body language when they're walking like there's so many things that come into play. And then once you have that, those student-athletes in, you, you talk about and see what, how they fit, how they fit your program. 
because you can tell right away when you have that connectivity if it's going to be a good fit or not. And through email and just talking on the phone or just watching a video, because, listen, they can make the best videos. And that's not, as a coach, yep. that's not what you want to see. You don't want to see the kids doing everything perfect because we know that games are not perfect. Plays are not perfect. Exactly. That they're yeah. mess ups throughout, and you want to see how they react to that. Um, so I feel mm-hmm. like it is going to be effective, even even more so, with with those um, student athletes. Yeah, yeah, it's it's going to be crazy, and and as you said, them getting that extra year, the kids that are already on campus, um, right? That sort of affects the the fresh. I mean, the seniors now in high school. And uh, I, I think another thing is going to happen. There's going to be a gap because um, you're going to have a bunch of seniors this year or next year. Oh yeah. And oh yeah. Have a very small freshman class, and mm-hmm. so it's going to be a couple of years down the road, and that's going to affect you because all of a sudden you don't have any seniors. Uh, oh yeah. So it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting. The um, now how is uh, the uh, I know you went to a. Big volleyball matches past weekend, um, uh-huh. and, and of course, no uh, no college coaches can be there except for probably Division Two. I would imagine is Division Two able to go? I know no Division One is dead right now. Um, Division One is dead any co- right now. Right. I right. did not see any coaches this weekend where I was in the facility I was in, um, and right. if they were there, they were hidden. Um, and that's one of the things I made a point of trying to look around to see if I would see any. I did not see any. Right. So, well, they might have been somewhere around, but right, not mm-hmm. big. But and in I was two weekends, they, when they go to Atlanta, they will be. I, I guarantee those Division Two ones will probably venture out um, in Atlanta in two weekends. Okay. okay. So the Atlanta one is going to be a big one. Um, oh, yeah. But again, yeah, they can't go. So now they just yeah. And and I know you're not in it right now, but how well yeah. do you think you can know somebody via FaceTime? Can you think you can learn I, I don't most think of what you, you need? Can. I, I don't right. think you can. I mean, it's it's not how sports how you right. can to build and, and mold kids and get to know them. It's kind of like if I'm trying to get to know a student at school, I'm not going to be able to get to know them really well by just talking to them on the phone. However, if I'm in person and mm-hmm. we're having those same conversations, we can truly see our reactions, our um, genuineness. I, I mean, there's just certain things that you can tell when you're in person that when you're not, Anybody can put mm-hmm. on, just like talking on, on radio sometimes, right? <laughs> or just like um, like anyone, like like doing a, a Zoom. Like anyone can show right. you what they want you to see at that time. But when you sit down and if, if you and I were sitting down um, in, in, a, in a studio side by side, you know, we, we still would be having the same conversation because that's right. just right. who we are. You know, but you exactly. truly can get to see um, and get to know kids better 
as a recruiting tool if it's in person. Mm -hmm. I agree with that totally. I agree with that totally. So I think part of what's, what's going to happen is, you know, you still got to sign. You just still got to sign kids, and and I guess the same thing for kids because they haven't had opportunity to go to a lot of campuses. Um, so it's it's going to be uh, some some hit or misses on both sides, both from the kid perspective right. and and from the uh, which is going to make things interesting here over the last, next couple of years. Um, so it's uh, it's it's a wait and see. It is a wait and see. Wait and see. Oh yeah. So. Now, now um, from your experience, um, just mm -hmm. thinking, thinking, um, what would be some a couple pieces of advice you would give uh, to our young student athletes that have aspirations to play on the collegiate level? I think that, like, one of the key things is understanding that um, that there's a a school for every student athlete, right? And understanding mm -hmm. which one would make a good fit for you. Um, everyone is not a division one athlete, right? And and understanding that everyone may not be at the same level as everyone else. However, everyone can dream of it. But it's important mm -hmm. that, you know, when you are going through all this, that you you focus I, I think sometimes when you as an athlete or we as athletes, we focus on us so much that we forget about the team. And I feel like if we can, if there's one thing I could say to a student athlete right now, is that you have to focus mm -hmm. on that teamwork because that teamwork will make you a better player because you will know what you need to do to help your team to be more successful. So if you can start re, what's the word, re, re, rethinking and changing the mindset, mm -hmm. because sometimes the mindset is all about me, 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 whereas when you play a sport, it's not about just you. It's about the team. Um, so if we can retrain the mind and think about how can I teamwork to help me work, then coaches look at that because they'll see that that is a teammate right there. Like, I want right. that person on my team. Um, when, that, when, when that player came off the court, um, you know, because they all make mistakes, Right and they're on the sideline, mm -hmm. they are focused on their teammates trying to get them back in the game with with different energy. You know what I mean? So if the focus is right. there instead of on me, then coaches see that a lot. So I think that's yep. one of the things that, that I think that teaching a kid the value of, of I guess, the value of teamwork and and the connectivity of it, I think, is very important to make right, it at right. that next level. Yep, no doubt. Now, one of the things, just my time of going to different sporting events, I would probably say that volleyball um, probably does the best job of coming together, whether it's good or bad, right. and just sort of breaking it. So I'm sure some of them aren't thinking good things. <laughs> right. Until getting the middle to break it down as they get ready for the next play. Uh, but uh, but if they do, do a good job of that. So it's, uh, I guess as a, as a whole, volleyball is teaching them that. And you know what's one of the big things about the teamwork piece that you just talked about? 
Uh-huh. So that's a big reason why uh, big corporations like athletes, because they've mm-hmm. been parts of teams. And, and as you get into the business world, you're still going to be part of a team. Um, there are Absolutely. some professions where you're going to be, but most of the time you're part of a team. And, and knowing how to work well with us is, is definitely a, a big thing. So that's huge. That's huge. But, hey, well, we do appreciate you joining us tonight. Uh, it was fun catching up. And uh, look yeah, forward thank to. Thank you for uh, having me. Yes, definitely. And sometime when I get back down to Charleston, we got to go break bread sometime. All right, that sounds good to me. Just let me know. All right, all right, sounds like a plan. Well, hey, we're going to take a quick right. break, and we'll be back in a few minutes. Hold on. I'm calling.
gonna be a lot of way of walking them pounds. Coming up in here, half dressed. Where your clothes at? What's your name? Is where you get them pretty toes at? She barely cooked for good with cuss words. Spend all my money up, smoke all my. Crash the coop, bank account that too. No matter what you do, you steal my boo. She run the streets more than I do. Who to do? Can't talk to you cause you keep an attitude. Hit the stash, hit the cash, ain't asked the bar. Looking at it, ain't a loss, I make it up tomorrow. Hollin' at my man's and I must be out tomorrow. I'm out with little mama, she got puppy power. Turned on my ones and none and then thumb. I hate to see come, but she's a chicken on the run. Hey, how's everybody doing? This is Everett Sands with West Foundation Sports Talk Show. Uh, we're back. we got our next guest on. Uh, it's a young man that had opportunity to play for uh, um, Coach Steve Spurry, um, which I still I love playing when I wanted to coach for him. But, Mr. Tony George, Tony, how's everything going? Oh, man, things are going wonderful. How are you this evening? I'm doing well, man, doing well, doing well. Uh, you played for uh, Coach Spurrier down there in Florida. Uh, but t- just tell us a little bit about your background. Well, let's see. I am I am a general, a young man that got drafted. Uh, I shouldn't say drafted. I got recruited by 167 colleges and universities out of, out of high school. Um, out of that 167, I chose the University of Florida uh, due to the fact that that work ethic came over with our with, with Coach Spurrier. When he walked in the house and he sit down and he's telling you where you would fit on the death chart, he sat and told me about it, what that work ethic would look like. <laughs> and he said, hey, look, you're not mm-hmm. going to come in. You're not going to be the top dog, but you're going to work at it. And I understood right. that, and something inside of me wanted wanted more of that uh, because I felt mm-hmm. like I had it every other place, right? Uh, as in mm-hmm. anybody that's getting recruited by that amount of schools, you feel like you can go anywhere and walk right in and do what you do. But that wasn't the case. Um, uh, I ended up going there, became a, a three-year starter for Coach Burrier, um, uh, became an All-SEC, uh, two times uh, All-American my senior year, and uh, ended up graduating with two degrees from the University of Florida um, Nice. right after I got drafted. Um, so then after I got drafted, which was to the New England Patriots, I got drafted 91st overall um, in 1999. From there, decided to, you know, get my three years in, played my three years, tried to start on the fourth year. And um, I just didn't feel like that that hunger was there over the hurt. Hurt meaning that I – I, things were happening to me that I was trying to hide at that time uh, and didn't mm-hmm. know until a few years ago what that was all about. Um, so right. uh, all of that being said, 2005, I decided to retire, came um, to Charlotte, North Carolina, just because I, I love the, the city and the opportunities that were here. Um, a gentleman that I grew up with had a uh, personal training business, and I came here with and got into that in 2005 and I haven't stopped since so that's been part of my 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 wonderful journey and being able to have 131 kids from my company heat pro fitness uh, that that helps kids of all backgrounds and everything uh, be able to receive scholarships Um, for me it, it was just about teaching kids what work ethic was all about and um 
people say, well, what is your, what does that mean with your work ethic, and what does that, what does that entail? And I always tell them that no matter what, nobody was ever going to outwork me on the field, and that's just the way that I felt. There was nobody that was going to get behind me as a as a wide receiver. There was nobody that was going to out out hit me. There was nobody that was going to out tough me. No, there was nobody going to ever outwork me, and I think that is what carried me into this uh, heat pro fitness, the personal training aspect of things, because it, it drives me because today I still get challenged by all my kids who still think they're faster than me, but I still give them a little work, <laughs> a little work on the side here <laughs> showing that I still got it. <laughs> but um, just things like that, um, that all of those things uh, are, are working in my favor. And this is what I got going on now. Also the head of a huge, huge, uh, rehabilitation forum that we're going to be doing down here in Clover, South Carolina. Um, we're going to be doing a rehabilitation forum. That forum consists of, uh, ideally, uh, people that have traumatic injuries with the body and brain, uh, people that face social and judicial injustice, uh, veterans when they come back off of their tours, and um, families that face sudden hardships. So we're going to have uh, fruits and vegetables, 17 fruits, 15 vegetables, growing on the property as long as, uh, as well as we're going to be fighting against the opioid addiction by having hemp-based products that we're going to deal with, and we are in the process of hopefully being able to grow hemp on the property. Um, right. We're, one of the things in everything that I do is all about the aspect of giving back and building the community the right way, whether it's from Heat Pro Fitness or whether it's from Trinity X Pharmacy. Um, the ideal of being able to give back to the community in a way that you can see the growth. And one of the ways that we're going to do that on the farm as well, along with the fruits, vegetables, and hemp and all those wonderful things, is we're also going to have a vocational school on the property, uh, teaching teaching these young men and women and, and families a trade so they can have self-sufficiency to themselves and teach them how to become the entrepreneur that they love and truly want to be. So that's pretty much me in a nutshell. Will uh, I, I got a lot of things going, but those are my those are the things that got me to where where I am, to where, where I, and why I'm motivated to do what I need to do. Well, hey, well, it sounds like you and I have to get together so we can collaborate on some things. Um, because awesome. again, you know, the big thing with the West Foundation is we want kids to understand that they can be successful without being a professional athlete. And oh. That's I believe benchmark I live education. on. <laughs> yep. And it starts with education. And everybody's education isn't the college education. Some of it is, hey, right. I'm going to go to welding school or plumbing school and then go to mechanic mm-hmm. school. Because guess what? A plumber makes a lot of money because, mm-hmm. hey, yes. as you said, <laughs> uh, that very old story. Pre- a pretty penny. I think it started off almost 90000 I believe. So, yeah. I mean, a year you know, that, and that's. That, and that's on a that's on the smaller end of things. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And it's, it's you know that experience that they have. You know that old story where the plumber comes in and five minutes he said, "Okay, it's fixed. That'd be one hundred and twenty-five dollars." And he's like, "You yeah. charge me one hundred and twenty-five He's like, "No, I'm charging one hundred twenty-five dollars because for my experience, I knew what to do. <laughs> As I knew what and to do. You know, that's right. Exactly." <laughs> Uh, so, uh, yeah. but but again, there's still some type of education. So there's still a learning curve that has to happen there. 
Um, and yeah. so that's that we're huge on, and, and we definitely um, want to make sure we can get together and work on some of those things. And we can definitely, uh, I think, together have a, a greater impact on our youth, which is what we want to do. Absolutely. We want yeah. to do so. 100%. I'm going to go back. You talked about work ethic, and, you know, that's one of the things that when I was with Coach Spurrier, um, mm-hmm. one of the things that, that he said one day when I was uh, – one of the things that we did, we we had Wednesday nights, we had family dinner. So yeah. I was just like, Coach, I appreciate it because, you know, other coaches, we never had a family dinner. Although we did it every week. Right. You know, opportunity. Time with the family, so I was like, Coach, I really appreciate you having the family here, you feeding us and all that. He said, Every, "Remember this: I don't want to outwork anybody, but I want to outprepare everybody." And yeah. and that's key. So there's times when there's a difference between being busy and being efficient. Yeah. And too often we try to be busy, yet we don't get anything done. So right. it's uh, that efficiency extremely important, extremely important, and uh, I definitely it learned is. that from Coach. Uh, it's it's so, so funny. I've, I've learned so much from Coach Spurrier. Uh, the staff that he surrounded himself with made mm-hmm. him made his job very easy, and it was easy for him to defend his coaches because he pretty much had the best at every position. And right. It went with it, it went without saying when we were going out there beating teams seventy seven to six. You know that was that was part of Coach Spurrier, but Coach Spurrier was all about I'm gonna go in front of the camera and give them the demeanor that they should know about that y'all can expect us to come because I trust my coaches this much. And he said even more than that, I trust my players. And Coach Spurrier is one of the funniest guys you'll ever meet. Uh, oh. Uh, it, I, I I I used to love coming in on 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 the day after the game, and we got to go over film, and he's he's getting on every one of the guys who thought they had a great game, and mm. he's letting them have it. He, he he didn't care if you were Danny Warfel, he didn't care if you were Ikea or Dale, he didn't care who you were. If right. you didn't play the game that you that he knows that you're capable of playing, which was everybody always called it. And I used to love it when he used to come to the defensive me rule because he really didn't know a whole bunch about the defense because he was stuck on the offense so much. But he would come in right. there and he would tear guys a, a, a brand new you-know-what. And he's like, you know what? I don't know a whole bunch about this defense, but you look at a position right here. And he would literally let these guys – and we, as the younger guys, we kind of sat in the back and we kind of tried to hold our laughs in because Coach Spray mm-hmm. don't know, but – but he is—he's right because he's—he's he's forgotten most football, more football than most people right. still know. And he can exactly. sit there and look at the film and say, "I don't even know what this coverage is," but you're wrong. <laughs> and it's like, wow, how did he, how did he even know that? <laughs> but uh, he was—he was nothing short of a genius when he came to that. But he—he yep. he also instilled that work ethic into each one of their, each one of us as as one of his as one of his players. He showed us mm-hmm. and said, hey, look, you put yourself in the right position based on what this film says. If you do this, you're going to get an interception. You do this, you're going to get sacked. You do this, you're going to get a touchdown. 
and he would put these coaches in positions that, hey, here's something that you probably ought to think about against this team. He'll pop his head in the meeting room and say, you might want to think about this. I saw them do something on film and this, 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 this. You could, I mean, mm-hmm. and I had Coach Stoops, and Coach Stoops could be in the middle of a, a knockdown, drag out, get us hyped and ready to go, and then all of a sudden Coach Spurry sticks his head in there. You might want to try this because they're going to do this, 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 and this, this, and this. All right, see you guys on the field. <laughs> and Coach Stoops looks around. Well, I guess we got to change the whole thing all the way around. <laughs> and, and literally, <laughs> it worked. It worked, though. It When I tell yeah. you it worked, it was unbelievable how he could do stuff like that, and it it actually worked. But that work mm-hmm. ethic, Will, man, I, I tell you, it is, it is unprecedented that when you go to, you know, uh, a lot of these D1 schools and things of that nature, the only thing that separates the winners and the losers is our work ethic. And that's, yep. the, that's the thing that yep. I teach all the kids that I train. I make sure that my kids are the most conditioned, the most mentally tough, and the most, most, most coachable kids that I could possibly have. I have them lined mm-hmm. up so that if they ever face a challenge, I know my kids are going to pass the test because that's what was instilled right. in me. That's what I was coached on, and that was on every level. I mean, it, it wasn't, mm-hmm. you know, it was it was prevalent with Coach Spurrier, and he, he impounded yeah. it in me even more. I mean, but it started in, in high school. It started, you know, and it carried on even into the, in, in the NFL. Um, but mm-hmm. those are the things that, that work ethic you just can't replace. Right, exactly, exactly. Be, now, I always have a thought of the day, and this, this goes along with what you're saying, because my thought was the goal isn't to be better than anybody else. It's to be better than I was yesterday. And yeah. every day we get a little bit better in something, you're going to be pretty doggone good mm-hmm. by the time it's all said. And uh, and that just goes to yeah. work ethic. Um, that's, that's exactly what it is. And uh, and mindset has a big part of that, too. Um, it does. Because, unfortunately, unfortunately, a lot of these kids, and, and my hat's off to you because a lot of kids these days, if they're getting recruited by 167 schools, um, yeah, they have the thought process that I'm the man. I'm the man. Oh, I don't man. have to worry about it. I'm, <laughs> and, uh, and I'm not, I don't understand the fact that, hey, to be the man, you got to beat the man. And, yeah, and to remain 100%. the man, I mean, work harder. Um, yeah, you got to outwork the man. That's why I always say when one of my one of my catch statements with all my kids. I said, you know, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't want to work hard. Exactly. And that's that statement for me carries with every walk of my kids. And I say, look, if my kids don't give me the effort I know that they're capable of. I start to work out over and I tell the parents, you know, come back in another hour because I'm not satisfied with what it is that I'm seeing, you know, because I don't, I don't want, I don't want kids to practice bad habits. And I say, you can put yourself in a completely different world when you start practicing bad habits. And I don't want anybody Mm -hmm. to ever have to experience what that feels like to go out there on the field and realize that you haven't put in all the hardest work that you can put in to accomplish what it is that you need to accomplish. For me, it's, it's, it's nothing more prevalent than making sure that they understand what that hard work looks like because when they've been right. there and they've done that, there's nothing that they can't accomplish. Exactly. You know, that, that goes to confidence. When when yeah. you know that you're prepared, now you can be confident that you're ready. Um, it's, it's that time when you're not quite sure that you're like, 
I don't know, am I ready for this? Did I? And, and but hey, but just just knowing I put that work in, there's nothing else I could have done. I dotted my eyes, I crossed my T's. I'm ready to go. Now yeah. the man across from me would still be better than me, but I'm ready to go, and he knows he's gonna be in for the fight of his life. Um, that's right. That's 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 the mentality I believe you gotta have. Uh, yeah, and there's none better than that mentality because you know you can't. There's there's no defeat in that mentality. Yeah, that's that's right. the way it has to be. Yep, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. So, now, how long have you been in Clover now? Uh, this will be the start of my fifth year, actually. So I've been out of Clover for uh, five years. Right. Right. Okay. So you got and, out of the and big city. And, yeah, I got out. Of, I got out of Charlotte. Uh, Charlotte was right. I was I was there for a while, and um, to be honest with you, I realized that it was it was more more kids that needed my help down in mm-hmm. South Carolina, and I wanted to try to make sure that I had a resource to tap into because when we when we retire as professional athletes, we go to, we go to the bigger cities, <laughs> and you know realize that it's it's those smaller city kids where I came from and where I grew up at in Cincinnati, Ohio. One day I was a small city, but it was, it was. Sometimes I got overlooked by the by the bigger schools, you know. So mm-hmm. Charlotte has a lot of big schools when it comes on the scale when we start talking football. But it, even more so down in South Carolina, you got a plethora of talent of kids that is just that doesn't have the the whole picture of direct, direction, you know, engulfed with them. And it's not a knock on the coaches down there because the coaches are great, but the coaches can only do so much after the kids go mm-hmm. home. There's not a lot of there's not a lot of mentorship. There's not a lot of programs set aside for them. There's not a lot of you know training companies where these kids can say, "I want to pour into this for my kids." How can I get mm-hmm. them to understand what this work ethic is all about? Because the one thing I do know is that when you start doing that and you start getting them involved with things, the work ethic that's in that you do dealing with training and, and other things that prepare their body, it carries over in the classroom. It carries over at home. There's a different approach of getting ready. When you feel like you have to be a part of something, it prepares you a different way as opposed to just being right. able to sit at home, play video games, call your friend on the phone, and then go out and get into something you don't need to be in. Mm-hmm. So those no things, man, play, the, play a big role, and that's part of the reason that I went down to Clover five years ago. Well, good. And it's, you know, to me, um, as you're saying, that discipline that you're starting to create uh, in those young men and, and women is is something that I tell my guys all the time. You know, discipline is something that you can turn on and off. Um, yeah. Are you going to have discipline? I mean, if, you don't. If, if you can't be here on time, at the most inopportune time, you're going to jump off sides when it's fourth and one. And and yeah. this this is the win the game. You're gonna jump off sides. So if I yeah. know that you're gonna be concentrate, I'm not gonna trust you. So I'm not gonna put you in that situation to hurt the team, even though you might yeah. be the best player. Absolutely correct. Um, yep, absolutely and, correct. And I think that discipline is it just it is a carryover there. It is a carryover. And as kids become more disciplined, they're going to start doing more and more things right, and as they do more and more things right, they're going to find more and more success. And, and as you know, success breeds success. Yes, that's for sure. That's 100%. Success. 
So, well, good. Now, um, one of the things that we do is we have a, a football camp down in uh, Conway, South Carolina, down here in Myrtle Beach area. So hopefully we can get you down here yeah. to come join us. Um, Absolutely. Camp this year. Lock me in for a day. Yeah, lock me in for a day. I'll, I'll come down and hang out with you guys and yeah, I'll give you some of what I know. Outstanding. That'll be great. That'll be great. And eventually what I would love to do because – Again, there's so many kids in that York County. You know, you got Rock Hill, you got York, you got Clover. There's a lot of good talent up there. We'd like to get up there and eventually mm-hmm. do one up there as well. So, um, as well as Charleston and Columbia. So that's that's the end goal to start having them in some different cities as well. But but now, as we get ready to start to to sort of wrap up, a couple of things uh, as kids are preparing you know, um, whether it's middle school or high school, and they have the aspirations to to not only play collegially, professionally, um, what kind of piece of advice would you give those kids? The the only thing that I always tell every every kid I that I ever encounter, I said, you know, don't make don't make sports a career. Make it a habit. And if you make it a habit, don't let anyone outwork you. Keep your work ethic right where it's supposed to be because if it's all everything's gonna boil down to your work ethic. Uh everybody can run a four three when when it's not on Accu track, right? Everybody runs mm-hmm. four three. But all of a sudden it becomes a four seven because mm-hmm. what you thought you what you thought you ran during track season, which was probably pretty accurate, is not the same seven months later because you've been running your mouth saying you can do it. Work right. work ethic involves more than you running your mouth. You know, you got to give yourself a chance, give yourself an opportunity, and, and mostly you just gotta you gotta you gotta not allow yourself to be overtaken by things that are not going to help you to advance where it is you're trying to go. So please, please, please let your work ethic speak for you because that's what's going to take you to the next level. Now, here is a um, stat that I heard recently that, and this goes into what you're saying, don't make sports a career. Um, yeah. If you take out the top ten percent of longevity guys in the NFL, so take out your Tom Brady, take out your Drew Brees, take out your kickers, punters, and anybody that's been in the league, you know, ten plus years. Yeah. Um, the average stay in the NFL is about ten months. Yeah. Mhm. And I'll be honest, that is the most accurate that I've ever heard it, and that's the truth. It's about 10 months, right? (laughs) Even when I played back in the 99 turn of the millennial, by that time, the average was three years at that time. Right, So now now here we are. Yeah. Yeah, now here we are 20 years later, and it's 10 months. Mm -hmm. You know why? The NFL has found the key to understanding that if we can keep this league young – We'll be around forever. 
So you you know ten right. months. You make your you, you got you got ten months to make your impact. And if mm-hmm. you don't make that impact through your work ethic, oh, it's easy to replace you. We're gonna find somebody that's hungry, somebody right. that ain't ever had a shot, somebody that ever that's never had an opportunity. If we find that one guy that can that can just give us what we need for just a couple of mm-hmm. games that can help us sell some jerseys, it's a wrap for where it is that you thought you were gonna do. And that that's right. the one thing that I, I know that on every level separates good from great is that work ethic. Mm. The um and, and, and that is true because uh there is times when you might get cut because this other guy is cheaper. Yes. One hundred percent. One you might be better and but he's cheaper. Oh, one hundred percent. I told you that 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 youth wins. Youth wins. Yep. And you know, if you can keep yep. you can keep the league young, you can also keep it cheap. And that's the and that's the way that they look at it. You know, they'll they'll risk it they'll risk it from that standpoint and go from there. But you know, the ideal is for them. We want to keep we want to keep this league young, and we want to keep it inexpensive, so that way we can keep more to ourselves. Exactly. 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 And so that's uh hey. And then not to mention uh, the other part about how football doesn't always let you back. Um so that's, that's, right. that's another reason why that that's that's a great statement don't make football your career, make it a habit. Because uh that's there right. there are gonna be times injuries are gonna happen or something's gonna happen and and uh if you have all your eggs in that you're gonna be left hungry. So uh do some position to be successful. So but yeah, we'll definitely uh you know, work to collaborate on some things, but put June twenty sixth on your calendar. Um that's the day of okay. our, our camp down. And uh we'll definitely be in touch. But uh we're gonna go to a awesome. quick break and we in a few. Hold on one second. Thanks again for joining us. Uh thanks for having me.
Coast Town Styles. For me and Miles, it's DJ Took Next. Hey, how's everybody doing? This is Everett Sands with the West Foundation Sports Talk Show. We're back. And uh, we've had a good show so far. And now I have a good friend of mine, uh, Mr. Harold Nichols, which is joining us now. Harold, how's everything going? Well, Coach Sands, I'm doing great. It's good to be with you guys here tonight. Hey, man, I'm glad you could join us. Glad you could join us. The uh, Now, you've had a, uh, a good long career. Please tell us a little bit about uh, where you've been and, and what you've been doing. Well, uh Originally, I'm from New Smyrna Beach, Florida. I'm a uh, New Smyrna Beach High School Barracuda um, and played college football at Presbyterian College here in South Carolina. I was a quarterback there for uh, for four years, the greatest four years of my life. was able to coach there for a couple of years after I graduated. I started as a, as a restricted earnings coach at GA there for a couple of years, and I went down to to Georgia Southern there in the early 90s, and we played against a good Citadel football team with a great fullback by the name of Everett Sands back in the day, <laughs> back in the old Southern Conference when the Citadel and Georgia Southern went there, and spent about six or seven years there as coach on both sides of the ball, um, coached a lot of the skill positions on offense, and then came back to my alma mater in the late 90s with uh, Coach Daryl Dickey, was there for three years, uh, had a lot of great success, um, went up north to the, to the University of Rhode Island up in the Colonial Athletic Association for, for eight years, was the offensive coordinator and assistant head coach there for a number of years, got to play against some great, great players in that league, um, including Joe Flacco at Delaware, um, some really, really good players. Um, went to Bucknell University in the Patriot League for a year as the assistant head coach and offensive coordinator there for uh, the, the 2008 season. Um, was the, uh, um, you know, in the Patriot League, that's Lafayette, Lehigh, Colgate, Georgetown, a, a great league up there in the Northeast. Um, got Got a chance to compete against some really good coaches and players. And then in 2009 was had the privilege and honor of coming back and being the head coach at my alma mater at Presbyterian College as they were making the transition from Division Two to Division One. I uh, was the head coach there from 2009 to 2016. Um, and uh, it was a great love of mine to be able to come back and, and, and lead my alma mater in, into that transition. And... Um, and then in 2016, you know, made the made the choice to go to uh, into administration, and I've been the assistant athletic director in charge of development, and that's uh, raising money for athletic facilities, annual giving, um, and has really been kind of the next step in my career that I've taken. Um, so I spent a lot of time up here in Clinton with the Blue Hose, but uh, have had an opportunity to be in some other places, uh, experienced some other things, some other different regions of the country, and have developed some great relationships with some folks over the years, and I've been truly blessed, Coach Sands, my whole my whole career. Don't feel like I've worked a day in my life, but uh, right. uh, sure is good to be on, on here with you tonight. 
Yes, sir. Hey, that's that's kind of like, you know, sometimes my wife asks me, if I won the lottery tomorrow, what you going to do? I'm like, man, I'm going to work tomorrow. What you mean you're going to work? We got all the money. Bro. What do you mean? That's right. That's right. That's right. Now, now here's a question. Um, of course, I had opportunity to play with uh, the 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 self-proclaimed best athlete that ever came out of New Smyrna Beach. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and yes, CJ Haynes, if you listen, I'm, I'm pointing it on thick. Uh, but C.J. Haynes um, was a quarterback who came a little after you, um, said yeah. that he is the best quarterback that ever came out of New Smyrna Beach. What do you say about that? Well, you know, I, I think that's up for debate, but uh, C.J. was a great, great young man, uh, had a great career at New Smyrna Beach. In fact, you know, when C.J. was coming out of high school, I was actually an assistant coach at PC at the time and, and recruited him to come and, and play for the Blue Hose. But uh, you guys down there at the Citadel talked him into coming to Charleston and uh, broke my heart. I couldn't get my fellow Cuda uh, uh, player to come up here with me up here in Clinton. But uh, he obviously made a great choice, had a great career down there in Charleston. And uh, But, uh, you know, funny thing, you know, when CJ was, was a young chap, I was a counselor at a uh, um, uh, city recreation uh, summer camp that we would have. So CJ, I remember when CJ was just a little not headed boy running around and down in New Smyrna Beach, and uh, it, was, it was always was always um, you know CJ comes from a great family and, and was always a great representative of New Smyrna Beach, you know, and we was always real proud of him. You know, going to the Citadel and having the career that he did, and and uh, right. but he broke my heart when I was an assistant at PC. That's one of those recruiting battles that I lost that uh, that I wish I hadn't because <laughs> selfishly I wanted to make a blue hose out of him, but he ended up being a Citadel bulldog. Yeah, no doubt. Now the uh, now CJ said he was a pretty good baseball player too. CJ was a good baseball player. You know, we had a. We had a youth league down there called Southeast Volusia Athletic Association. We called it SEVA. And uh and CJ CJ's pop was a was a coach in, in in Little League baseball down there back in the day. And CJ CJ could swing the stick a little bit back in the day. He sure could. In fact he probably still thinks he can. But uh um yeah, he was he was he's quite a baseball player back in the day. He sure was. Yeah. The um which uh, you know, we 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 talk often. Actually, CJ's a, one of my best friends, so uh, I have to I have to pick at him at times. I have to pick at him at times. So, well, now, I'm I'm so proud of CJ. You know, CJ has gone into the ministry and uh, yep. uh, has become a great father and a great husband and a great member of the community down there in Florida, down there in Central Florida, and. You know, I've kept up with CJ over the years. You know, he's one of my favorite people. He sure is. You know, he's if you can count him as one of your friends, you you you've been blessed, that's for sure. Yeah, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. So, now, shifting gears just a little bit. Um mm-hmm. of course, this year has been like unlike any year uh in our lifetime for sure. Um COVID has definitely changed a lot of things of how sports uh, how has it what kind of challenges um, which I'm sure are similar to 
you know, everywhere else. Um, but what kind of challenges was did PC come across, and how did they uh, adjust to those challenges? Well, I think you know, you know, you bring up some good points with this COVID. You know, it's been it's been one of the most challenging years for all of us for a lot of reasons. You know, we've been able to. You know, luckily, you know, both in the fall and in the spring, we've been able to um, have in-person, on-campus instruction, which has been a, which has been critical. Um, because, you know, in the fall, well, I guess it, it goes back to last spring. You know, that when they, you know, canceled a lot of the, you know, a lot of the conference basketball tournaments, you know, I know Coach Pollock, Elton Pollock, our baseball coach here, you know, his season was cut short. And what they've done in a lot of the FCS schools, you know, old Division One AA in the Big South here, the conference that we play in now, um, you know, we've got 19 sports that are playing all this spring, you know. So mm. it's been an unconventional year, especially for football, you know, because, you know, before spring football has been spring practice. And, you know, what we've gone to now is playing an abbreviated season, uh, like your alma mater, like the Citadel has in the Southern Conference. Of course, they played some in the, in the fall, too. But, um, exactly. you know, we've been able to, you know, kind of, you know, put a season together this spring, you know, in conjunction with some of our other uh, – sister schools in the big south so it's 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 posed quite a quite a challenge from a logistics standpoint because now you know what we've done is we've kind of put a whole school year with traditional Mm -hmm. fall sports traditional winter sports and done it all in the spring which has been you know for smaller schools like ourselves because you have, you know, you have personnel issues. You know, you've got trainers, you've got support personnel, sports information folks that are really stretched really thin because of the, you know, demands that it places on, um, you know, all, all of the auxiliary departments that make sports go in college athletics. Um, you know, and we don't have the good fortune like South Carolina or Clemson that have, you know, um, a lot more personnel, a lot more, you know, finances and resources, you know, to make these things happen. So it's been it's been quite the grind and quite the stress on all of us because of all the all the unique uh, challenges that it places on everybody. Right, right. Now, you know, one of the things when when they started talking about playing football in the spring, I was like, how are the Traditional one double A's. I know it's FCS now, but I like still mm-hmm. like calling it one double A. Came up right because normally in football, seventy five percent of all the trainers in the fall are dedicated to football. But now right. you got baseball going on, you got football going on, you got track going on, and mm-hmm. basketball is just up. Um, but you have all this going on. So how are they going to be able to swing that from a trainer perspective? And how have you all been able to do that? Well, you know, it's, again, you know, we, we've we've had folks happen to wear multiple hats, um, you know, and it has stretched our, our sports medicine department really thin um, to be able to cover all the sports because from not only, 
you know, not only just from, from practice and, and competition uh, vantage points, but, but also, too, you know, you know, as you well know, being a former athlete yourself, you know, there's so much preparation that goes into getting ready for a game on a Saturday afternoon. You know, I mean, you know, there's weights, there's strength and conditioning, there's, you know, practice time and, and meetings and, and, and all those things that go into in preparing a football team for a game. You know, so we've had to be, be quite creative, you know, because what happens is that at a smaller school like, like a PC, a Furman, Wofford, Citadel, you know, also, you know, your your um, your facilities get stretched too, you know, because you know you don't have as quite as much space because you got so many other sports that are in season, you know. So mm-hmm. it's been it's been quite the logistical challenge for for our administration to be able to make that happen, along with, and this goes without saying, you know, all the COVID protocols that have to be put in place. You know, there for a long time in the fall. And in the winter, preparing for this spring football season, you know, of all the testing, of all the social distancing that had to go on, you know, all the, you know, you had to, you know, have in place, you know, all these protocols that were involved in, 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 in keeping our young people safe, you know, and being able to get into the competition field. So it's been quite a challenge. It's been a unique, unique year in a lot of ways, you know. Coach Sands, I'm 53 years old, and I've been involved in college athletics for over 25 years, and I have never in all of my years been involved or seen anything that has gone on like it has the last 12 to 18 months. I mean, it's been really quite something. Exactly. And the uh, and how are, your, how are the PC teams doing right now during um, the quote-unquote spring-fall season? Yeah, you know, it, it, you know, we, we've had mixed successes. We really have. You know, our our football team, uh, you know, we we lost to Gardner Webb in double overtime. Gardner Webb had beaten Elon, which was a top twenty five team, the week before. Um, right. And then uh, we beat we beat a good Moorhead State team out of out of, out of Kentucky. You know, we're on we're in the. We're in the Big South and all of our other sports, but uh, in football, we've just transitioned to the Pioneer League F- Football League, which is which is Stetson, Davidson, Drake, Maris, Valparaiso, San Diego. It's kind of a national, um, um, uh, you know, league that really really spans from coast to coast. It really does, and. Um, mm-hmm. So and then then we played a really good Davidson team, which which you know runs a similar offense to what it did when you was playing back in the day, Coach Sands. We uh, and we ended up losing to them late um, on Saturday. So it's hard to really get a barometer on kind of where we're at because two things: one, you know, we're transitioning from the Big South to the Pioneer League team, and it comes at a couldn't happen at a worse time because of the COVID and being able happen to to do this in the spring. So it's been it's been quite yeah. a challenge for us. I think you know Coach Pollock and the baseball team have had some had some difficult series here early. We we opened up with Auburn on the road over in Alabama, um, mm-hmm. and uh, and played a weekend series there. In fact, I think Coach Pollock and them they're playing USC Upstate in baseball tonight. Um, okay. So. Um, you know, basketball season's just finishing up. You know, men's and women's tennis is going, soccer's going. You know, so we've got we've got a lot of stuff going on right now. 
and we're just trying to keep up with it all. But I think, you know, with, with varying success, I think, we're, you know, we're, we're doing pretty good under the circumstances. Right, right. Now, let me ask you this now. From an administrative standpoint, um, mm-hmm. and you have a good look because, of course, you coach for many years. Um, with the – and I know you are a little different from a football perspective, but your other sports are, are still going to be affected. NCAA gave everybody mm-hmm. an extra year. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that has affected recruiting. Um, yeah, I, I, I think, you know, you, you make a valid point. I think a couple things right off the bat. Number one, good for the NCAA that they've been able to grant these young people, these young men and these young women and giving them an opportunity to get this year back, you know, cause a lot of them have been, you know, the, the normalcy has been disrupted and it's given them an opportunity to, you know, get a year back, you know, that, that has been unusual for them. So good for them. You know, normally, you know, I know the NCAA comes under a lot of criticism for some of the decisions that they make, but I think they got this right. Here's the issue that comes with that. Number one, you know, it is, it has put a, a crunch on the, individual institutions because while they've given while they've given these players in in these various sports an extra year, they have not given the the individual schools the tools and the resources and how are they going to pay for that. You know, because a lot of these kids are on scholarship, so now they've got an extra year of scholarship. So now instead of having either four or five years of classes that are on scholarship, now you've got six. You know, so mm-hmm. it's put a roster crunch on all these coaches and figuring out how they're going to be able to pay for this extra year. So it puts right. a crunch on the on the top end of your classes, but it also puts mm-hmm. a crunch on the incoming classes. You know, so the, right. these freshmen that you assign and committed scholarship dollars to, the individual institutions have got to figure out a way to pay for it. And that's been that's been quite tough from an administrative standpoint on how – a, how are we going to pay for these, this extra class of kids? D, you know, now in, in, in 21, in 22, and in years past, you know, it's probably going to take about five to six years for this to cycle out in order to get it right. back to what you and I would consider what would be normal, you know. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think, I think that has been the unique challenge. I think, number one, like I said, the NCAA made the right decision on giving these young people an extra year because of the unique circumstances and challenges that this year has placed on them. But, but number two, I think, you know, it has really put a crunch on these coaches on how they're going to have roster management and how they're going to be able to figure out and continue to recruit and you know, it, it is it is really put a, a, a and, and I think there's more legislation that's going to come in order to help better prepare the colleges and universities as they go through this roster management and, and how they're going to deal with this issue. Right, right. And the um, and I guess, you know, really the other thing that I think is difficult from a recruiting standpoint is, Division one has been dead since this thing pretty much started. Um, it has. You make a you, you make a great point, Coach Sands. Yeah. 
you know, you, 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 you think about in Division One college athletics, and this is across the board. This is baseball, football. They've been dead. So what dead means is there's no in-person, off-campus recruiting. So there's no, been no in-person, off-campus evaluations, contacts of any kind for over a year which has been unheard of. That's never happened in the history of the NCAA or recruiting as you and I know it. All right, number one. Exactly. Number two, mm-hmm. what, and probably more importantly, none of these kids have been allowed the opportunity to come on campuses and visit, okay, right. and be able to interact mm-hmm. with the coaches. So the relationships that you and I are, are, know that are so important in the recruiting process mm-hmm. has been, there's been none. There's been none of it. You know, um, so we we signed a class of young people where, for the most part, the coaches, the families, and the student-athletes have had no in-person conversations, meetings. It's been all via, like, you know, uh, Internet and Zoom calls and those kind of things, which, you know – I don't think is the healthiest for anybody. You know what I mean? Because, you know, as you, as you know, have been a college coach like myself, you know, you like to go get in those young people's communities and ask teachers and guidance counselors and coworkers and coaches and to really find out what makes a young man or young lady tick, you know what I mean? And how they're going to best fit into your program. And that has been really taken off the board. And that is unprecedented in the history in my lifetime, I know, that, you know, that that part of the recruiting process has been taken out. Right, right. That's true. That is so true. And the thing is, it's you, you, how how well can you know somebody? You know, it's, I'm going to put it to you this way. I'm going to relate it this way. It's almost like um, online dating and you get married. Yeah. Or you get a chance yeah. to meet them. Yeah, that, that 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 that's probably a good analogy there because, you know, it is it is, um, you know, and 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 really too for the young people and the families, you know, how well they get to know that coach, that recruiting coach, that coaching staff, that head coach, the environment that's on a campus you know, their teammates, you know, having not had the opportunity to, to, to really get to know those kids, you know, it's really kind of a shot in the dark, you know, it really is. Yep. And, you know, yep. you know, I've talked to, to many folks, you know, because I'll have, I'll have parents and kids reach out to me and say, coach, you know, what, what, what do you think about this? You know, do you know anything about that program? You know, so they're trying to do their homework. They're trying to do their research, um, mm-hmm. but you know, uh, the other side of that coin too, coach Sands is, is, you know, there's not as many spots available in the class of 21 and 22 because of these roster crunches. Okay. Exactly. And, and, you know, exactly. I, and I've heard it from, co- I've heard it from coaches all over the country. We're saying, you know, we just don't have room for as many kids mm-hmm. as what we normally would, you know what I mean? Which is, which is you know, unusual, you know, because, you know, again, in Division One, and, you know, in 1A and FBS, you know, like the Georgias and the Carolinas and the Clemsons of the world, they can sign 25 a year, okay, right. and plus walk-ons. 
And that's why I think that the NCAA, some legislation, being able to expand rosters, especially with some counter sports like, you know, like baseball, volleyball, you know, where they are a headcount sport, which is a little different than what it is in football. But even still, you know, I've advised families and players and, and, and student athletes alike, hey, look, if, if, if you've got an opportunity at a school and a school has shown interest in you and have given you an opportunity for a spot, offered you a scholarship, you need to really seriously consider taking that spot because, you know, mm-hmm. they are few and far between. And there's going to be a lot of good players in this recruiting cycle in the class of 22 and the class of 23 that are going to get crunched out because of numbers. Now, and here's here's what I believe is also going to happen. Um, and of course, it, it now becomes affordability. Can can I afford to go to Correct. college and pay for it? Um, Correct. I think what's going to happen with some of these kids is, of course, that those kids that come back for the extra year, December they're going to be mm-hmm. gone. So if you're right. on campus, you've shown that you can. Now you got a more of an opportunity to get a scholarship than a kid that's just going to be a senior in high school. Um, but again, it goes back to affordability. Then, then I, think I, I agree. Aspect, uh, another aspect of this whole thing is, um, which again, CJ and I was having this, we had a discussion before, we, we disagree on this, is the transfer portal where kids can just right. up and leave go when they want to. So I think the right. transfer portal is also going to affect high school recruiting as well. It will, you know, and, and, and here's the thing that I wish would get more notoriety than what it does. You know, it's so easy for Everett Sams to leave school A or Harold Nichols to leave school B looking for another opportunity because I don't like where I'm at on the depth chart where I'm at, or I've got a disagreement with a coach or, or I don't like where I'm going to school. All those things, you know, come into play, but, but, but here's the thing, you know, I want to say that I saw something the other day where close to 75% of the kids that are going into the transfer portal have nowhere else to go. You know what I mean? Mm. So they're stuck out there in limbo, all right, because, you know, they're looking for something bigger and better or, or better in general, and that opportunity is not out there, you know. So I would really, I would really warn your listeners out there, Coach Sands, you know, be really careful when you're making decisions on because the, the transfer portal sounds great. You know, hey, I'm gonna get right. the transfer portal. I'm gonna get I'm gonna get opportunity now at CDENF school. You know, well that may not come around, especially in the environment that we're in now with this roster crunch with COVID exactly. and these kids being given extra years of eligibility. The opportunities are are not as prevalent as what they were probably three or four years ago. Right, right. And the the thing that to me is a factor is always why are you in a transfer portal? Right. I mean, most kids don't think about that. That's going to be asked. I mean, why why are you in? Yeah. It? Oh, you didn't get along yeah. coach. You, you right. Just, you didn't want to compete for a job. So you think I want you right. to come over here if you didn't want to be there? Right. Oh, you just didn't get well, you know, it, right. You know, I think I think you know that brings up a, a, a really. I mean, we could have a two-hour show just on this alone. But you know, 
I can remember when I went to PC as a freshman from New Smyrna Beach High School, and I'm going to bring it full circle here because I know we got to get off, and you know, I know you got another guest, but, um, but you know, I was I was I was the 15 quarterback at PC coming out of New Smyrna Beach High School, so you know, I was I was. I was the, you know, the third string scout team quarterback when I was a freshman. Okay. And, you know, I went through about two, two and a half years of that playing on the look, look team, you know, get, you know, preparing the starters for the game on Saturday before I even actually got to participate in a college game. It was been my third year. Now I ended up luckily by the grace of God was able to start my, my, my senior year and my fifth year and had a great experience. I wouldn't trade it for anything, but you know, as I'm 53 years old and I look back on my experience as a, as a college student athlete, you know, I don't think back to all the touchdown passes and all the things that happened when I was older. I, I draw strength from the grind that I had when I was a freshman, a sophomore, you know, a junior trying to get myself ready to get on the field. You know what I mean? That's right. where I draw strength right. from now as a father, as a husband, as a member of my community. Mm-hmm. That That's where I get that, 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 that grit, that work ethic that you and Tony were just talking about. You know, I think that that's, that's something that our young people need to go through. You know, it's okay yep. to be disappointed. It's okay to have some failure. You know what I mean? That's okay to, for that to have happen. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Get yourself back in there. Get yourself bigger, faster, stronger. Make yourself a better teammate, and promise good things will happen to you. Yep, no doubt about it. Because it's if if you have never been in a tough situation, how you know how you're going to react? Exactly. And That's exactly right. That with with some of the better teams, um, you know, as I look at Coastal Carolina last year. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I was with Colts in 2019, and we lost, I want to say we lost seven games by a total of, like, 24 points. Right. Um, and then this year, they won that first close game. Then they won the next close game. And then next thing you right. know, they expect to win those games, and, hey, they have a great season. Uh, right. So That's all right. play into molding you into who you're going to be. That's right. So it's, That's exactly right. It's, it's big time. That's big time. So, but hey, man, I, I definitely appreciate you joining us, and uh, we'll definitely get you back on here at some point so we can talk some more about stuff like that. Coach Sands, right. it has been my privilege and honor, man. I appreciate what you're doing down there. You've got a great organization going, and if I can ever be in any service or help, you you know you know my phone number. Call me anytime. I'll come running. All right, I appreciate it. And I make sure. But I tell CJ that you that you said that you were better than he was. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead. I just don't hey, I I just can't run a forty against him, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> well hey, well you have a great night. Hey, we're gonna take a quick break and we'll be back in a few. Sounds good, Coach. Thank you.
the blues. I'm a dangerous man with some money in my pocket. Keep up. So many pretty girls around me and they're waking up the rocket. Keep up. Why you mad? Fix your face. Say my fault they all be jacking. Keep up. Players only. Come on. Put your pinky ring up to the moon. Girls, what y'all trying to do? Five years, believe it or not. So 
uh, we had we had quite a way about us. Uh, then had the opportunity in 2010 to play for the first U.S. women's national tackle football team. Uh, then the second one in 2013. So I won two gold medals on behalf of Team USA. Um, in 2014, I literally stepped into the men's game, uh, becoming the first female to play running back in men's pro football. So I got tackled by those guys every day for a season and in the process earned the trust and respect of my teammates. Uh, those guys and I, I mean, that changed the course of my life, and I know we've, we've talked many times about how it changed all of us, um, but earning their respect, and that respect caught the attention of former Dallas Cowboy Wendell Davis, who called me after after we had a good long talk and said, you have to coach my football team. And I instinctively responded no, because there were no women coaching in pro football at that time, and um, I right. had not seen that for myself. Uh, Wendell, thankfully, is a is very strong personality guy, and he would not take uh, no for an answer. He actually uh, said, not a lot of guys are going to give you this opportunity, and you're taking this job. And, in fact, when I still tried to turn him down, he took it for me and then informed me about it. Um, <laughs> and so I ended up coaching for the Texas Revolution for Wendell, and then shortly thereafter, um, joining the staff of the Arizona Cardinals with Bruce Arians in 2015. Nice. Nice. So um, I'm trying to think. In 2015, was Cam Turner there then? I don't think so. Okay. Okay. I know he went there. I'm trying to remember when he was there. Might not have been. But he, um, that's actually uh, North's uh, nephew. North Turner's Oh, okay. And he might have been at so I don't I don't want to call it those you know, sometimes those years get caught get get tied up in there. Um <laughs> so after you left the Cardinals, what did you do then? Um, I uh, several things actually. I uh took an opportunity to be the head coach of the first Australian women's national team. Um I've had a love for Australia since I was really young and to be able to go over there and help impact the game with um, two of my favorite coaches who I had played for for Team USA, uh, John Konecki and Anthony Stone, was something I definitely couldn't uh, pass up. And, and that was actually the first time that a female was a head coach of, a, of an international team. So um, really great adventure, um, lots of good memories from Australia also had the opportunity to launch NFL Play 60 in Canada, um, so got to travel with them quite a bit, and then um, founded Gridiron Girls in 2017, uh, which was the same month, uh, October of 2017, same month that my book, Play Big, came out, um, and we have been doing camps all across the country and parts of the world. Um, we've done over 35 um, and really just um, 35 Gridiron Girls and then several other camps as well, just really trying to increase access and opportunity um, for girls and women in the game and, and kids who might not have had the chances otherwise. Um, in 2018, I coached with the Atlanta Legends um, of the Alliance of American Football on the D-line. So, you know, 
there's a football field and, a, and an opportunity, I'm probably going to be there. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. And uh, the, I know that it was the, um, there's a new football league that was supposed to start last year, women's football league. Um, is that going to start this year, do you know? Several women's uh, football leagues across the country. Right now, you have the WFA, um, WNFC, um, and I believe you were talking about uh, the WFLA that was going to start up. Um, I don't know Mm -hmm. what their status is. Um, From what I understand, they might have gotten delayed from COVID, but there is there is plenty of good women's football that will be playing here in not too long. So if you haven't found your local team yet, I suggest you find them. Okay, good. Now the the Atlanta Legends was the AAC. Oh, what was it? What was that? Those initials. AAF. Again? I'm sorry. AAF. I'm sorry. AAF. The Alliance the, of American Football. Yep, and then the XFL. Um, I heard that that's going to be coming back next year. Yeah, um, the latest mm-hmm. I heard on the XFL is actually they're. Uh, currently in talks with the CFL uh, to see if there wasn't a great way for the XFL and the CFL to expand opportunities um, in football. But the plan was that they were to relaunch the XFL in 2022, correct? Cool. Well, let's talk about the Gridiron Girls for for a minute. Now, the Gridiron Girls, um, tell us a little bit more about that. Well, Gridiron Girls, um, I say it's Mm -hmm. confidence through football and teaching the girls that there is no game they cannot play and no field they do not belong in or on. Um, we work with different organizations to, you know, help teach the girls that they're not the exception to the rules, that the rules are changing and they're actually exceptional. But a lot of girls haven't gotten the opportunity to, you know, become socialized into the game of football the same way as the boys do. So, Um, often a hard situation for them to step on the field if the guys know the basics and the girls have not been taught them. So we Mm. intentionally go in and create um, an an empowering community where the girls can get all the fundamentals and then take the game as far as they'd like to take it. Right. Okay. So your camps, is it it just a one-day deal or is it something you come and you – work fundamentals and and then have the camp, or how does that work out? Um, The camp is a one-day camp right now. I mean, we have a number of programs we can do with any community, but typically that's Mm -hmm. a, it's a one-day camp for the girls. Okay. Right. Okay. Because the, um, as you know, we, we have a one-day camp that we do. Um, The West Foundation does. uh, And we actually, I guess it was, 2018, we did have one young lady that uh, came to participate on the football. And uh, she actually played middle school football as well. Um, uh-huh. So it is not, we didn't have a lot of girls that wanted to come out, um, but we did have one. And uh, I think it, it was good for her to have her out there. Uh, so it was, it was good to, it was fun having her running around. And uh, I definitely see the need for it. And, and and I actually had a cousin that played in a semi-pro league um, around my hometown, um, which was good. She was a running back uh, as well. Mm-hmm. So she got 
and and I would imagine. See, I was a running back as well, so my mentality was was probably a, a different than a lot of other running backs uh, because my mentality was I'm gonna hit you before you hit me. Because <laughs> if I do that, I'm not gonna feel it. Right. Uh, but uh, and then late in the game, my thought was, okay, I didn't run you over a couple of times. Now I'll make you miss. But uh, right, no doubt. But, Going going back to your running back days, uh, you were a running back, correct? In men's pro football, yes. In women's football, yeah. I was generally an outside linebacker or speed rush end, depending on yeah. what defense we no. were running. Why, why the difference there? Uh, that's what the coach asked me to do in the men's game. So, oh. you uh, know, that, coach tells you this really is what needed. we want you to do. That's yep. what you do. Yep. That's what you needed. Okay, good. good. I, w- I wasn't sure if it was, um, you know, that's what you preferred or that's just where you were needed. Oh, no. If, so. if I had my druthers, I would be, um, I would be tackling. Um, I came okay. from rugby, um, so uh, I was well-taught, well-trained, um, a monster in the backfield, like to make quarterbacks' lives difficult. I would say that was one of my specialties. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the men's game, you know, obviously the, the size was quite a difference. Um, and yes. I'm all, I was also small in the women's game. I stand proudly at five foot two. So um, that was where the coach said that he could use me. And, you know, I said, okay, you're the bomb. Cool. So five foot two, and you and you playing rushing in. I like it. I like it. Got oh, a spunk to you. Absolutely fast, fast off the ball. Um, good short tackler. Great pursuit angle. Right. Um, and obviously nobody's gonna gonna beat me when it comes to getting low. So. <laughs> hey, you gotta use what you have. Use what you have. Now, Absolutely. now what's uh. As a, as a running back, what were, what were some of your big attributes as a running back? Being smart enough to get in behind the D lineman or the O lineman and hide in their hip pocket and be small where they couldn't see me. And then I would also go from say there. I was the best decoy in the world because um, none of those guys <laughs> uh, wanted any woman to score on them. Um, right. And so the uh, the fake handoff to me was a killer. Uh, there was a play in the first game that I had now. And, you know, I'm small and fast. And I think there was a question of would I get back up um, after taking the hard, hard hits, right? That's what everybody wanted to see in the first game. So the play call was actually a dive up the middle three times in a row. Um, mm. And that's not necessarily the call that most football coaches would call for a five foot two, a hundred and some odd pound running back, but you know, sometimes that's just what uh what we've got to do. And uh three yeah. times in a row I took the hits by those guys. On the the fourth one, I remember looking at our quarterback Josh Floyd and saying, Fake the handoff to me. These guys clearly have <laughs> one goal and it is that the girl doesn't score. Will you please just go score on them? Because the whole defense was skiing on me. And I'll right. tell you what, I took that handoff. He bootlegs out. 
the worst thing about it is I got clean into the end zone that time. I mean, I was in, and my fake was so good, the entire stadium goes crazy. And then, you know, I had to kind of come up and show that I didn't have the ball because we were in the red zone. And the whole place starts booing even when the quarterback scored because they just wanted to see me get in the end zone. Um, but, you know, I, you know as well as I do, football is a team sport, and it doesn't matter who gets in as long as we get in and we all have a role to play. And yep, my role on that play was to fake the heck out of all of those guys. Well, see, now, I'm, I'm a, as, as I told you before, I'm an offensive guy. So one of the mm-hmm. things that I always that, – that we should do um, – did the offensive line know that it was a there was a fake handoff on that play? Pretty sure they I did. did. That was a few years yeah. ago, though, coach. So yeah, I know. So, so so my thought is on on call a naked and hand the ball off because every time you call a naked, the right. running back is wide open, and and I right. imagine it's them reading the line what they're doing, and and of course every time you sort of the quarterback fakes the ball. They, it's, so just call him naked and hand the ball off. <laughs> See what happens. Right. And, and of course, uh, the play that works a lot is when you just – the quarterback just tells the running back, hey, I'm going to pull the ball. Nobody yeah. else knows. I'm just going to put it. And, and it always happens. You know, that works more often than it doesn't. But that's just yep. – Yeah. Nobody, nobody can tip forward. off the play. Exactly. Exactly, because um, as as much as you work on it, still the offensive line mentality is going to be a little different when they know it's a, a naked versus a, a actual run. Um, so yeah, no doubt. Something to think about once you get back into the coaching ranks. Yeah, no doubt. I like it. Being a defensive yeah, girl, I know how I'm reading. So. Exactly, exactly. And it's uh, you're reading them, them hats. Uh, as, as you yep. say, does the turtle head come out or does it stay in? <laughs> you got that right, Coach. Yep, no doubt, no doubt. Now, you wrote a book called Play Big. Um, what was the inspiration for that? Um, you know, Play Big was a, I would say it was some of the takeaways that I learned from my career. Um, written in a way that it could kind of be a, be a roadmap for other people to um, overcome. You know, in football, we say yeah. football, family, and faith, right? Play for something bigger than yourself. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of the theme of my book. To, you know, I, clearly you don't have to be big to play big, but you have to have something big to play for. Um, yeah. You know, and, and for me um, – I found a lot of that in in my football family um, and the belief that we were we were playing football to to change the game for other girls and women who wanted to play football as well. Right, right. The um, and it's and it just seems like again what you've done you sort of opened up some things. Of course, this year um, you have the first female referee. Right. Yep. Um, in the Super Bowl. So there's, yep. So there's a I lot. Mean, Sarah's of, been in the game. Sarah and I actually yeah. had the same first game together. 
Okay. Okay. Yeah. So her first game was my first game with the Cardinals. It was Arizona Cardinals um, versus the Kansas City Chiefs. And at that time, it was the University of Phoenix Field. I know that has since changed. But um, we were out there in the desert together. Um, and, you know, and Sarah has become one of my truly dear friends um, since that day. Um we actually just talked the other day, and she said, do you remember what you first said to me on that field? And I said, mm. no. And she <laughs> said, Jen, she said, I was so nervous, right? It's, you know, a big day, a big game, and, you know, everybody's fussing about this, that, and the other, and I just want to focus on doing my job. And they say, you know, we need you to come out here and meet this coach. And she's like, why are you having me do this? And I just want to focus, and she's like, it just felt so, you know, so awkward, and, you know, I'm terrified, and I walk over to you, and you just said, well, this is awkward, isn't it? And she said, you said exactly what I was thinking, and I couldn't help but just laugh, and I knew that we were going to be okay. She said, you were just so natural and so easy, and you have always been that person. And she's like, you, you speak up for people, you say what's on your mind and you really do make things better for other people. And you sure did for me that day. And I was like, wow, I had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I cut amazing. jokes for her a little bit later. And I thought that's why, that's why she liked me. But no, it was, um, yep. I guess the fact that I just eased the tension in the, in a tough situation. Yeah, and they, and sometimes that makes all the difference in the world. Absolutely, uh, as you know, as the 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 opening kickoff, you got butterflies in your stomach as soon as you get that first hit out the way. You're like, okay, I'm ready to play now. And uh, oh my and god, sometimes so, in life, oof, you are so speaking the truth on that one. Mm-hmm. It's like and you need the reminder uh, of what those pads feel like. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And it's, you know, for me as a coach, um, pregame, oh, boy, I, I, it's like I'm getting ready to play. Uh, and then after we get the open kickoff, I'm like, all right, I'm settled down, now I'm ready to roll. But it's 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 something about that excitement of, of right before the game and, and the knots in your stomach and the nervousness, but you know that you're ready, so you're confident, and you're just ready to go. Just yes, ready sir. To go. Oh, it's uh, it's good. So now, I imagine uh, what's next? You're waiting for one of these new leagues, and you're gonna try to jump back in, or or what are you thinking? You know, coach, I I absolutely miss football. I I miss coaching. Um, you know as well as I do. A lot of it is, um, you know, the crew that you know, um, and mm-hmm. what they're doing. Um, I had the opportunity when Brad Childress took a job with the Alliance League. I was one of the one of his early calls, and um, to me that was that was a huge compliment. And I actually had, um, I think they had eight coaches in the Alliance League. I think there were eight teams. And I remember Chili telling me he was like, "Well, you better you better say yes to me quick because rumor has it six out of eight asked for you on their staff." 
And uh, I said, well, you know, Chili, I already committed to you. So um, I I think we all know how coaching cycles go. And um, uh, yeah. but I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready when the call comes in. Well, hey, well, hey, I, I would imagine uh, as we come out of COVID, um, whether it's the XFL or something else, that that it's gonna something's gonna pop up. And uh, so make sure you're ready to roll because the phone will be ringing. Hey, you know I'm I'm always ready, right? You know, have have cleats will travel. I think is the uh, is the mentality because you know I still coach with well, my good. cleats on. I don't know about you. Maybe not in the well, game, you know but what? in practices, better believe it. Yeah, I I I had to I had to wean myself off the cleats because I tried to do too Uh-oh. much, even though there's. That that I wish I had them on, but I was but I also was kind of like, well, guys, if I could do this with sneakers on, you could do it with cleats on. <laughs> but uh, but it, well, I'll tell you what. Um, when I went to Australia, um, my two coaches who had both coached me, um, Stone mm-hmm. and Konecki, were like, Welter, no matter what happens, do not put the pads on. And I was like, oh, coaches, you know, I'm not going to do that. It's not going to happen. And then, coach, I realized that we needed some uh, some work on dip and rip through the person coming to block you, um, oh, yeah. how to do that in action. And I kicked mm-hmm. all of the coaches out of practice except for myself. And I ran <coughs> – sorry about that. Um, and I made every single one of those players dip and rip through me. And if she didn't do it, I chucked her about 10 feet. Um, so that, that promise <laughs> of not putting pads on did not last long. <laughs> well, hey, but the good thing was you was the head coach and you could do what you wanted to do. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I got, I got to be the HBIC, I think we call it. Yeah, nice, nice. Well, hopefully, um, I'm, I'm going to try to get you to put June 26th on your schedule and see if we can get you down to uh, the Conway Murder Beach area for our camp uh, so you can help us coaching that and uh, and, and get, get you a little coaching bug in for the summer. I know you'll probably have some uh, other camps. You could, you could check that date to see if we can make get you down. We appreciate it. All right, coach. We will we will definitely look into that. The um, but before we before we close up, if you could, what advice, um, whether it's a young man or a young lady, that has aspirations uh, to play not just collegiately professionally, uh, what advice would you give to them? Well, you know, the first part of it is be a student of the game. I think. You know, I think sometimes we get too much into um, from, you know, they they put the combine on TV, right, or the pro days mm-hmm. this year if we have it. And, and we talk a lot about 40 times and bench presses and all of those things. But those things only translate as well as you are able to put them into action on the football field, and the football field is different. And if you're a smart player, and one who works hard, you always have the advantage over those who just try and um, just try and out physical the competition. 
the great ones are really, really great students of the game. And um, I've had the privilege to be around some of them, and I'm, I'm always blown away, right? And when you're, when you're smart in the game, you know, you play faster and you make right. big plays, and it's not just a matter of your size or your, your quote-unquote 40 speed, right? It becomes what's your game speed, how fast are you reading, how fast are you to the ball. And those are things you can always, always, always get better at, right? The physical right. stuff, you can do a certain amount of work in a day. But the mental stuff, there's always something else that you can learn. So soak it up, right? Spend time around people. Realize that when coaches give you something, it is a gift. It is the best gift a coach can ever give you is to make you better. And for me, there were a lot of times in my career where, um, you know, in women's, because a lot of people were newer to the game and coming in all the time, it was like the coaches had to spend so much time with the new players that, um, you know, old vets like me were often on our, on an Island to figure out stuff on our own. And though I became pretty good, I think at figuring stuff out on my own, I often wonder how good I could have been if I had Mm -hmm. somebody who was really, really there and building into me on the little things that become such big things. And so Anytime I'm coaching now, um, I always make sure to impress upon, you know, whether whether it's a, a small kid or a big kid, like the guys in the NFL, that mm-hmm. the best gift I can give them is to make them better and that I'm not right. being hard on them because they're wrong. I'm doing it because they could be just that much more right and exactly. that they deserve that coaching, Right that I'm doing them no favors by letting them be less than they are capable of being. But I think sometimes we need to be taught that, right? That getting better is a gift and it's somebody investing in in you to make you better. So, um, you know, I I remember telling that to Marcus Golden uh, when we were with the Cardinals. I love Marcus. And, yeah, I remember he looked at me, Coach, and he said, I never thought about it that way. Right. And I said, Marcus, I wish I'd have thought about it that way when I was a player too. But looking at it right. from me to you now, that's all I can see. And I just wanted mm-hmm. to make sure that you knew how good we all know we can be. Yep. And it went that, from that being a good. tough day where he had, you know, he had had a tough day and people were tough on him to him really understanding that. And it was a tough day, and then it went into a, a really good day. Right, right, right. And that's the, you know, you, you talked about the little things. One of my old players, uh, I was talking to him about something, and he was like, yeah, Coach, I'm going to take care of the little things because the big things will take care of themselves. Cause that's, for 25 years, I broke it down on the little things because I, I truly mm-hmm. believe that. Most people have a general idea of what they're doing, but to get great, I got to be detail oriented, and I got to make sure I take yep. care of those little details. Uh, so That's you definitely uh, hit on something that I, I, I preached uh, for a long time, for a long time. Coach, so, well, good. 
Coach, you will laugh if yeah. you ever read some of the comments uh, from the players who I coached in Arizona. You mm-hmm. know, because you go back at some point and read them. I read them probably a couple of years later. And the thing that came up over and over is Coach Chen is a beast on fundamentals. Yep. And yep. to me, that's what I had, right? Like, we didn't have a playbook that was as thick as the Bible in women's football. We had to be really good mm-hmm. in a lot of situations, which means we had to be very technically sound. And, you know, I think sometimes we scheme ourselves out of being great ball mm-hmm. players. And mm-hmm. um, whereas for us, I mean, you know, we had the basics and we, we had to win all of those one-on-ones. So, making sure the angle was correct, the hand position, you know, tracking the hip, those things. Um, I, I, I couldn't cheat on them. And I, I'm small, too, so, you know, I needed every single trick that you could give me. Um, right. So, yeah. Um, I, and I think that those things become really, really big things. And, and they get lost at the highest level sometimes. Sometimes mm-hmm. we take those yep. for granted or – we forget what we've known our whole life. Yep, yep, no doubt, no doubt. And, you know, just talking about that, I think of I did an internship with the Panthers um, back in 99, and mm-hmm. the preseason game was playing the Jacksonville Jaguars. And mm-hmm. on the 2D, they had the 40 times of, you know, I was on the offensive side of everybody that was on defense. Mm-hmm. And the starting corner, 40, was a 4-9. And I'm sitting Ooh. there like, how can you start in the NFL and run a 4-9? But that goes <laughs> back to what you were talking about. He was a student of the game. Um, yep. So that made it up for his, his quote-unquote, lack of speed because he played a lot faster than what his 40 time actually was. Um, so oh, yeah. for being a there student of the game, definitely. There are a lot of people who can definitely. blaze in the 40. Couldn't cover to yep. save their lives. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. Eyes in the backfield and just just don't play fast. And that's just true. Eye when violation, much, coach. I... Not the eye violation. <laughs> but yes, I mean that is you, you got to be able to uh, be a student of the game, and and I think the the quicker a, a young person can understand that the more successful that they can be. Um, and then they also got to understand that you can't just, unfortunately, let me rephrase that, a lot of kids watch film and they watch themselves. Well, that's Instead where I say that the film watches them, Coach. Yep. Right? They're not watching yep. anything. They're not learning. The tape's watching them. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and. And, but uh, I think and, I think that's also I think it's an art to learn how yes. to watch film, and yep. I think it's one that you know we just assume people know what to look for and what to watch. I know mm-hmm. for me when I I was first breaking down stuff for the revolution, right? You know I used to do I used to do a lot of that stuff for myself, right? And I'd look for the gotchas because right. you know again we didn't have the same complexity, so you had to know how to play certain plays, right? I know what my assignment is. Like, that's not going to trick me. But what what's the setup? 
right? What's what's the okie doke? What what do you you know? Oh, you just saw that I was taking a front front shoulder angle to the quarterback, and now you're gonna naked boot and make me look like a you know, like I'm gonna mm-hmm. be right. And so right. I would look for what the setups were and how the game moved, and you know I would take those notes for myself, and then at times I would cut them up and shuffle the deck, right? Was it by formation? Was it by this? How were they doing it? Um, so I'm making myself sound old, but we just didn't always have the same access to technology, right? So I would try and mm-hmm. see how it would make sense to me. What was what was the game they were playing? And so when I went into in the indoor, um, I, I did the same thing for my players um, just to, you know, give them the gotchas. Here's, here's the setup play. Here's what they're trying to open up. And mm-hmm. I remember, Coach, I had taken these notes, and, and I knew I could coach off them, but I'd never had to present them because, you know, they're all handwritten. They're all, you know, um, what I had seen, and nobody had really taught right. me how that got broken down. And here I had them rolled up. I'll never forget it. I've got them rolled up tight, you know, like I'm looking like I'm a swat of fly. And Robert Williams, who was one of our captains, uh, defensive MVP that year, um, I had started mm-hmm. just coaching the linebackers, but then we lost a couple of coaches and ended up, you know, taking over the D-line as well. So, so much mm-hmm. for that, that uh easy first season really getting to learn, right? You got to learn fast. And <laughs> exactly. I had these notes rolled up and he said, Coach Jen, when are you going to start giving the D-line some love? When are you going to let us in on these famous notes, right? And, you know, I, I don't know if they're right. I just know that they're what I needed as a player. Right. And so right. he's, Robert Williams, probably six foot four. He snatches the mm-hmm. notes out of my hand holds them over his head, right? So I'm like the little kid, like, trying to trying to play monkey in the middle, right? Like, I'm trying to, you know, big old Robert Williams just notes above his head, and he's holding them away from me. And I remember he's looking at them, and I remember my face turned bright pink because all of my notes were written in bright pink pen. So here is this giant dude with my bright pink pen, X's and O's, above his head, and I mean my face must have matched that pen, right, because I never expected anybody to see these notes. And he's looking at them, and he's like, Coach, these are really good. You've been holding out on us. This is – I'm mad for the D-line right now. He's like – and he he goes to one of the other players and says, Hey, man, come here and look at this. Look what Coach Jen had over here, and she hadn't told us. And, you know, they pass it above my head because they're all tall. And they're right. like, oh, man, Coach, wait a minute. You've just been hooking the linebackers up. You're not even taking care of the D-line. This is a bull, Coach. And <laughs> they get so mad that they, like, pass it around to everybody. And I'm just – all I'm focused on is, like, well, I guess it's not terrible. And why did I have to use that stupid pink pen? And <laughs> then the guy said, Coach, you're going to have to take all our numbers and you're going to screenshot these notes for us and send them to them on our phones. And I was like, really? And they were like, heck yeah, you did all the work, coach. And I was like, "Uh, okay. And then it actually became a thing for all the guys. They'd be like, you know, because rosters flip kind of quick and indoor, unfortunately. 
And so new mm-hmm. guys would come in and they'd be like, yeah, make sure that you give coach, um, give coach your number because she takes great notes. And I was like, nice. uh, okay. But these handwritten notes that were just what I would want as a player, you know, so I kind of knew mm-hmm. how the game would set up, um, ended up right. being infamous notes in bright pink pen coats. At least they knew who now, wrote them because I don't did, think any of the other coaches would have written in bright pink pen. Did you keep doing it in pink pen or did you change it up after that? Oh, no, I used pink, and then I started using some purple. Um, you know, I, I tried to keep a little flavor to them, but I would mix in some black every <laughs> once in a while or some blue. But, right. you know, they they right. actually got a kick out of the, out of the pink pens because they said they always knew it was me. They said they wouldn't know what they were getting if it came if it came in black and white. Right, right. Somebody else trying to jack Miss Miss Coach Jen's notes. That's right, Coach Jen's notes. Well, nice. That is great. That is great. Now, how long did you coach uh, in the Arena League? Um, I was with them in 2015. So I played in 2014 was with them in 2015 okay. and then went to the Cardinals actually right off the back of of that arena season. We lost in the championship right. too. Oh, okay. that was a tough one. I still remember the moment right. it all went bad. They kept doing that dive over the pile, and I wanted them as a slant to take it down. Our head coach told the linebacker to jump over the pile and meet him there. Taylor McCullough, mm-hmm. and he came down and couldn't go back in, and we had no replacement. That was that was it, Coach. Mm. Mm. So those moments yes. you can't get out of your mind. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There, there, there's always a couple that you just see over and over and over again. It's kind of like if we could do that one differently. And, mm-hmm. uh, now, you have that moment. Now, what is your best moment as a, as a coach? that you recall? Mm. One of my favorite moments as a coach was in the Alliance League. And and there were a lot of, you know, a lot of really great moments in a personal one. But from a, from a breakdown kind of strategy perspective, we were playing uh, these Furrier's team. And Furrier has a love, for trick play. And oh, yeah. I remember our head coach, Kevin Coyle, had said, and, you know, part of me breaking down each week was trick plays. So I had trick mm-hmm. plays, screens, backed up, um, some different stuff. But, you know, I always like to watch the game before I break down tape, right? I got I to gotta feel the game. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. he had said, Coach, we have got to figure out when Spurrier – likes to do the trick play. Said, we haven't been able to crack it yet, and we can't get caught. I said, okay. Mm-hmm. You know, I like puzzles. Give me that puzzle. And I remember when I was watching, you know, when I had looked at the formational breakdown for the trick plays and screens from the season, it didn't look like there was a pattern, Right. You looked over right. the course of the season, it varied quite a bit by formation and this, that, and the other. Then when I looked by game, I realized each game, the reason why it looked like it was random was they had a different formation 
that they were doing trick plays from and screens. So that formation would be completely different. Now, it might have been used earlier in the season, but there was one formation that they were going to do all their screens from and all their trick plays per game. And mm-hmm. I said, well, that's why nobody's been able to crack it because they've just been using the stats over the course of the season. They didn't figure it out per game that it was different, right? So right. that was the first. All right. It's going gonna, it's gonna to vary by game. Then there was one of the trick plays that had – it was on first and 15. First and 15. Oh, so there was, there was a penalty. So he had time. And then I looked because, you know, that's not necessarily in the notes if there was a penalty or a timeout. Right. So I looked in the right. breakdown, right, read them. Mm-hmm. Every time he did a trick play or a fake trick play, it was after there was time. So there was either, either a penalty or a timeout. And then it was midfield. And I remember telling my head coach and telling the D.C. And they were like, Jen, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily know if that's enough to know when it's going to happen. Right? I was mad. I was, I was mad. Right? My D-line, they were already in the room with me. They knew I had broken down trick plays and screens. So they were, they had seen it. Right? So mm-hmm. we're in the game, and I was up in, in the box. Um, and first screen happens. I'm like, okay, this is, this is the formation, right? Now I've got the number. Then the next part happens, right? It's midfield, you know, um, calls a timeout. I'm like, hey, this is it. This is going to be it. And they ran a fake, I think it was a fake reverse. And I was like, guys. This is it, right? I just called it. This is what it is. And nobody would listen. They're like, no, Dan, it, it, that, that's not it, right? So then it happens. Midfield, freaking timeout. Everything is there. They line up in the front. I'm like, guys, this is the trick play. He's going for it right now. Nobody would listen, so they didn't call it down. They run the trick play. My D-line tore that play up before it even went, right? I mean, they destroyed (laughs) it. And the coaches said, how did you know? And they're like, y'all, Coach Jen told us that. Like, we knew that was coming. She said, by formation, as soon as you see them do a screen, going to be a trick play. If there's a timeout and they're at midfield, that's when they'll do it. So just be ready. They're like, she didn't say not to play straight, but keep your head on a swivel if that happened. And he said, mm-hmm. and my guy, he told her, and he didn't know that they were, like, I was literally up in the box. I said, guys, come on, just stay, stay alert for the trick play. Like, I felt like I was being tortured. And yet right. my players knew, and they executed. And I, I have never felt so just proud because, you know, it wasn't, it was, couldn't be 100%, right? but they 100% got it. And it was one of those plays that they just devastated it. And the fact that they knew it, and my guys were like, yeah, we knew that was coming. And everybody on the field was like, Mm -hmm. what? Nobody knows when Spurrier does his stuff. They're like, yeah, our coach hacked your coach, right? And they were so proud. They're like, yeah, the female, yeah, she got your number. And they were so (laughs) proud to let them know 
that, you know, it was their female coach that figured out Spurrier. Nice. Nice. And, it, you nice. know, and they were so proud. They're like, man, coach, it was like you were with us in the huddle. You said, this is it, boom, boom, boom. And they did it just like you predicted. And I, I just remember thinking, like, wow, all that work was worth it, right? You know, when you figure out something like that in the game, it's just like it almost feels too good to be true. Like, could I possibly be right on this? And then the fact that the players, you know, were prepared and trusted and went after it like that and blew it up and then were proud to tell them that their coach had figured it out. Like, I was just like, man, these, these men right here, like, I, I would go to war with them any day. And every single one of those D linemen that I had um, in Atlanta, they all mm-hmm. went on to play somewhere else, which, nice. you know, me, that was, that was the biggest thing, right? Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the key. They, and that's the thing with, with that league. It was, hey, I'm playing so I can give me another shot at the NFL. Some of them a shot. Some of them another shot, um, yep. but, it, but it goes back to sooner the game. That, that is so true. That is great, 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 great. Now um, <clears throat> we have uh, actually went past, but that's all good because it's been a great conversation, and uh, <laughs> yes. I, I definitely appreciate you joining us tonight. Um, uh, I had a co-host join us, Mister Dequan Coles. How you doing? I'm good, Coach. How you doing? I'm doing well, doing well. Now, be, be, before, you got any questions for, for Coach Welter? Yes. Uh, what advice would you give younger coaches that's, like, just getting started and trying to trying to grow as a coach? Well, the first thing that I think is really important is the coach-athlete relationship. Um, and – really learning um, how to how to lead and how to help young players um, get the best out of themselves not just not just as ball players but as people um, you're a person that will have an impact not just on how they play the game but how they live their life and you can be that person and, and develop that trust and it's that trust that will pull you through so many things. Um, you know, I, I tell um, – I was talking to Mark Sanchez the other day, for example, and he said, you know, Coach, you have a reputation for being a player's coach. Like the guys I know who played for you, um, you know, they speak really highly about you. They, they, they love you, and, and that was – not necessarily what most people expected with a female going in, right? And he said, what, what do you think about you was different in your approach? And I said, well, I'll give you an example. I said, you know, you're my quarterback. I know what you're capable of. I know the throws that you make 99 times out of 100. And if one day you come in and you're hitting different, right, the throws are off, they're high, they're low, the timing's bad, your mind is somewhere else. My question to you is going to be, are you okay? And he kind of shook his head. 
And he was like, what? And I said, well, you haven't fundamentally lost the ability to make that throw, assuming there was no, you know, no accident or no injury from a game. And so if you're that off, it means something's off in your life or with a teammate. Mm -hmm. And for me, I've got to get you back to here. So we've got to fix whatever is going on in your life that has your mind elsewhere to be able to get you to football. And let me tell you, the fact that I know you well enough to ask and that I care enough to pay attention Mm -hmm. and you will invite me into your life, guess what? Adjusting technique becomes very easy because we have a relationship founded on love and trust. And he was like, as soon as I told him I would have asked if, if he was okay, he was like, oh, yeah, that never happened, right? Because if we're only focused right. on player, we often forget mm-hmm. the person. And exactly. you have to be able to reach someone to be able to teach them. You can always learn yeah. to, new techniques. The game of football, I mean, that's full contact chess. You are never going to be perfect in everything that you know about the game, right? And yet you can be really good at reaching the players within the game and you'll you'll get a lot more great on that relationship if they always know that you've got their best interest at heart um, than you will if you just come at them in a way that doesn't respect them as humans first and foremost. Right. Great words, great words, great words. Because you know, one of the things that uh, that that I often say is there's three things you got to have to have a good relationship. One, is spending time, and most of the time, like we're gonna do that naturally. Two yep. is communicate. We got to be able to talk to each other, and if you spend that time and you communicate, then you can build that trust. And when you build that trust. Now you'll try to walk, you'll run through that wall for me, and you know I got your back. And when you Absolutely. get to that point, now you got a relationship. Absolutely, hundred percent. That trust is so big, right? If I yep. trust you, I will run through a wall for you, and I have. Yep. Mm-hmm. But if I don't, I'm gonna half step because now I've got to now I've got to think about what you said and how you said it. I can't just execute. Exactly. Right. And that makes you pay slow, and then you're going to get, you, you gonna get, you know, you're going to get beat a lot mm-hmm. of the time for that. Yeah. yeah, no doubt. And it works both ways because if I don't trust you, if I'm the coach and, I, and you the play and I don't trust you, I'm probably not going to have you in there when the game's on the line. That's right. right about that. It definitely That's works right. both ways. Both ways. So, well, good. Well, hey. Well, we are coming to the end of the show. Um, definitely appreciate uh, Dr. Welty you joining us. Daquan, appreciate you jump, jumping on. And uh, everybody, again, um, keep June 26th on your calendars. Uh, we're going to have the West Foundation uh, football and cheerleading camp. And, again, just like to give a shout-out to one of our sponsors, Nano Air Solutions, uh, and they uh, – they sell the MERV-13 air filters, which will actually capture the bacteria and virus-sized particles 
and then they also have some face masks and face mask filters to wear. So thank them for their support. Uh, again, I appreciate you all joining us tonight, and we'll be back next week with another great show. Uh, you all have a great night, and we'll talk to you soon. Surprise, I must say, cause I never have seen such a pretty face With such a warm and beautiful smile It wasn't hard for me to notice her style I was fascinated, surely She took my heart and held it for me I wouldn't let her get away Not until she heard me That was great. That was outstanding. That was outstanding.